0: And now, introducing Something Magic Happens, Glenn Clark Radio. Glenn makes the magic happen, the magic of Glenn Clark Radio. When Glenn Clark speaks, and the whole crowd freaks, there's a thundering roar from Drew Forrester, something about golf, and you never know who's going to call the show. Maybe a friend or a superstar, maybe it's Ron from Owings Mills, Glenn Clark Radio, feel it happen, he is Glenn
1: Clark. Well, you really tried to hit the note there for a <laughs> second. Yeah, I,
0: I missed it, I missed <laughs> that it.
1: Was, that was something. Good morning, it is Glenn Clark Radio, Paul's all jacked up for opening day. I'm all jacked up on Mountain Dew, Chip! I'm so excited. I am, uh, I actually had a moment over the weekend where I considered, I was like, the the folks at 105.7 asked if I would stop by uh, their broadcast today, and I was like, yeah, I wasn't really planning on going, but you know, maybe, maybe, and I just thought about the value of having a day where I could get some work done, and I decided I'm going to pass, I'm going to pass today on going down to the ballpark. I've said that before, and then somebody's hit me up at like 12 o'clock, like, dude, really? Just come meet me at the game, and, and I've done it, but I'm planning. the plan for me is to uh, pass on the game today. Hey, we're going to get things started really quickly uh, this morning, as we got a lot to do on a Monday edition of Glenn Clark Radio coming up in just a bit. We're going to catch up with the Orioles play-by-play voice, our friend Mr. Jeff Arnold, later on this hour, Fred Funk, eight-time winner on the PGA Tour maryland's own we will chat with him about scotty scheffler's dominant performance at the masters over the weekend thanks to all of you who came out and joined drew and i at the FanDuel sportsbook at live casino and hotel yesterday we had a tremendous time next event will be the nfl draft coming up on april 28th myself the nfl chicks, sarita hubbard are going to be there for the first round of the draft You're going to want to come join us in the FanDuel Sportsbook at Live Casino and Hotel. That is our next event where you can come hang out with us with great giveaways, and you never know what we're going to be doing. Yesterday we gave gave out free rounds of golf throughout the day in the FanDuel Sportsbook. Had a tremendous time doing that. So we'll see you for the first round of the NFL Draft on April 28th in the FanDuel Sportsbook at Live Casino and Hotel. And if you want to guarantee your spot, Reserve one of those reclining chairs, reserve a table, email events at sportssocialmd.com. Again, that's events at sportssocialmd.com. Also, because it's Monday later on in the program, we will indeed catch up with our buddy Jeremy Kahn, who I think got down to pickles at like uh, 5 a.m. today or something like that, so Lord knows how lubed up he might be at this point. We will find out when we chat with him later on in the program. So that's all coming up on today's show. If you're with us on video, you see a, a, a friendly face. That's Paul's dad. Paul's dad is just sitting in here hanging out with us, Dr. Paul Valley. We might say hello to him here in a little bit as well. I've, I've got a question or two about how, how, how our Paul got to this point. I just have a few questions that might need to be addressed during the course of the program. The questions that I want to address right now are all about the 30th anniversary of Oriole Park at Camden Yards. Of course, the actual anniversary of the first game was last week, but with today being opening day, we thought it'd be an appropriate day for us to chat with the genius, the, the brilliance behind the ballpark, someone who legitimately has revolutionized the sport of baseball. She is the great Janet Marie Smith, and she is with us here on Glenn Clark Radio, Janet, it's Glenn and Paul. Happy opening day to you, my friend, and thank you so much for taking a couple of minutes for us this morning.
2: Always nice to hear from Baltimore.
1: I know. I know how much you love it. This is home. I know that about you. It you is love home. this place. I love it's, it. You love it. Well, it's great to hear from you. Janet, um, can you take me back 30 years ago last Wednesday when you when you saw the stadium for a game for the first time, that day as Rick Sutcliffe took the mound what were the emotions going through your head and, and and what did it feel like for you, this vision that came to fruition 30 years ago?
2: Oh, I think all of us on the Maryland Stadium Authority, Orioles, H.O.K., Martin Mallow team just felt a combination of it, exhilaration and relief. You know, it played like there was a real nine inning game in the books and Uh, We had all worked so hard to achieve Governor William Dollar Schaefer's vision of this urban ballpark and Orioles President Larry Lucchino's goal of this old-fashioned venue that had fans close to the action and asymmetrical playing field and just everything that Mayor Kurt Schmokes Baltimore had put into saving the warehouse and making this part of the urban renaissance of downtown. it all came together through a lot of hard work, but mostly for that one moment in time, we mm-hmm. <laughs> could just breathe a sigh of relief. And then, as I recall, the next morning we were at it again, working out the kinks.
1: <laughs> Janet, um, you, did you have any idea at that point how how you guys had just revolutionized baseball? Like, did you have any clue? that this was now going to be the way that stadiums were going to go or did you think like maybe hey this might be the one and then we'll be right back to these cookie cutter stadiums here in a second
2: no i don't think we had any idea nor was that even a goal as um larry lucino has often said we were trying to build the best ballpark we could for baltimore period that 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 was our goal And, of course, Joe Spear at HOK Sport, had been a part of the design team that had built Pilots Field in Buffalo a few years earlier, which arguably is the predecessor to Camden Yards. Mm -hmm. And yet it hadn't lit the fire the way that um, Camden Yards did. So, of course not. I, I don't think any of us would have been presumptuous enough to say it was going to do anything more than be a fabulous home for the Orioles. And even that, we just... We were hoping and praying that it would be a a valid successor to Memorial Stadium because Memorial Stadium had lots of deficiencies, obviously, or we wouldn't have moved out, but people loved it. You know, fans had fantastic memories of both the Orioles and the Colts and their championship years at Memorial Stadium. So our goal was to make certain that we didn't have – 48,000 fans walk in on
1: April the 6th, 1992 and say, golly, we missed the old place, you know? The great Janet Marie Smith is with us here on Glen Clark Radio. Janet, it's so funny you bring that up because in the last couple of weeks as everybody's been writing their stories and, you know, sharing their memories, I had honestly forgotten about how there wasn't really even that much public support there being a new stadium in Baltimore because of exactly what you're talking about which was everybody just loved Memorial Stadium so much they didn't want a new stadium here in Baltimore
2: well it had its deficiencies you know as I say or there wouldn't have been a move to to move out but having lost the Colts and of course having lost the basketball team you know the the city of Baltimore the state of Maryland was not going to lose another team and Credit Schaefer for his leadership. He just said, first as mayor of Baltimore and then on his way to Annapolis to be governor, like, we're not losing a third professional team. It's not going to happen. And if a new new park is what it takes to keep them competitive, uh, both on the field and in terms of the fan amenities, we're building one. Uh, And so I I think it's a credit to the leadership of Maryland's government and of the Baltimore City Planning Department. You know, I, I don't know that today they'd have the moxie to step out in front of public opinion and create the kind of leadership role that begot us, Baltimore's inner harbor, and uh, the you know newly talked about you know what what happens to those festival marketplace pavilions but those were all new the aquarium the science center in Camden Yards was just another piece of that puzzle to revitalize downtown and um so i i i credit the leadership on both the public and the private sector side with with putting together the team that got us to this place where we're talking about it as a celebration, not a woe is me 30 years later.
1: Janet, Janet was there anything in particular that you wanted for the, I It's just a question I've never asked you before. Is there anything you wanted for the ballpark that, that didn't come to fruition for whatever reason? Is there anything that you said, boy, I really wanted to do this and it just didn't happen? And maybe now, 30 years later, you're really glad it didn't happen because, as it turns out, the ballpark was perfect? Or you still wonder what it might have been like had, that, had something like that happened?
2: No, I think, listen, nothing is ever perfect. And uh, there are always things that you'd like to, you know, to modify as, you know, later. Uh, But hopefully they're mostly invisible to fans and players alike. And the things that we might have done that could have made it function better or given it a little more intimacy, Some of, you know, that, that, uh, you know, has managed to survive 30 years without them being a a critical element. And hopefully, um, you know, another 30 years goes by and we're still asking the same question. I I really valued um, the opportunity that Peter Angelos gave me to come back for the 20th anniversary. Mm -hmm. And some of the things that Mr. Angelos had had me oversee during those years really, to me, were finishing touches that I I relished the opportunity to be a part of, putting the retired number sculptures in the picnic park, uh, putting the bar on top of the batter's eye, the redo of the concession stands. You know, all of those things were things that Peter Angelos really felt were important to stay current with the trends in baseball and fan expectations so I feel like the refresh that the Maryland Stadium Authority and the Baltimore Orioles gave the park on its 20th anniversary um, still looks pretty new and fresh 10 years later, and there's still a lot of the sort of fan favorite. And we we don't think of it in Baltimore sometimes. We are so used to um, the park. You know, full generation of fans have grown up with this at home. I mean, the fact that we're talking about Memorial Stadium sure dates us because don't talk to anyone who – uh, you know, it's recently out of college about Memorial Stadium. That yep. is an ancient history. Yep. But I think what Baltimore pioneered not only with the downtown location and the old-fashioned ballpark and making it contextual, but I also think just the notion of putting our history out as a part of the decorum of the ballpark. You know, and I don't mean history like dated ancient history, I mean like yesterday's news, the, flag courts on Utah Street in descending order of the team standing every day, uh, the retired numbers being displayed in three locations, you know, at the north end of Utah Street to greet you when you walk over from downtown, the sculptures being in the picnic park, the big beautiful discs that hang over the left field seats, you know, all of that pageantry much of which was created by David Ashton and his graphics design team at Ashton Design, are now kind of a part of the go-to script of how to put together a ballpark. And so I think in Baltimore, we take those things for granted, how many things about Camden Yard sort of portended the way not just baseball but other sports treated their facilities in the last
1: generation so true it is so incredibly true just another couple of minutes here with janet marie smith as we celebrate opening day here in baltimore 30 years after the first opening day at oriole park at camden yards janet one of the other stories that i had legitimately forgotten was that not everybody was in favor of the warehouse that there were quite some vocal arguments from some about the existence of the warehouse. Did, did you know how important the presence of the warehouse was going to be for the urban feel and weaving the ballpark into the fabric of the city?
2: Well, yes. I, <laughs> <laughs> I felt very strongly about it. But that isn't to say that it was a popular conclusion. Um, but I think those of us on the design team who were sort of born of a certain era in architectural education. um, And I certainly would include Joe Spear and his HOK team and David Murphy at RTKL and the master planning team in that. But I think as architects and planners, we took Larry Lucchino's message about old fashioned and Governor Schaefer's message about urban and And put it in a contextual pot. And like, if you can't be a contextual ballpark, if you tear down the context. So I would say as a design team, we felt very strongly about it. But as Chris Delaporte, the uh, first executive director of the Maryland Stadium Authority, is famous for saying, if you're if you're going to tear down the warehouse, you better have a good reason. If you're going to save the warehouse, you better have a good reason. And I, I've always thought that pretty much summed it up. You know, there had to be a rationale. And I think from um, both uh, in terms of, how, you know, how do you make this fit into the city? You don't start by tearing down the very bit of the city that could define the ballpark. But Herb Belgrad, who was the chairman of the Maryland Stadium, Authority. already – really task us with, with making a rational decision, not just an emotional decision about it. And so Bruce Hoffman had us put together, he was executive director of MSA at the time, and he had us put together this sort of narrative, like, okay, well, what's going to go in there? Like, what can you take out mm. of the, the ballpark proper to justify saving it? And, of course, everybody knows today that the Orioles' offices, Masson's offices, yep. The team store, the central kitchen, the ushers changing rooms, like all those things ended up in the warehouse. And we were able to demonstrate that it was going to be cheaper and more efficient to put them there, not to mention it was more fun than <laughs> if we put them in the new structure. And, you know, I would credit developer Bill Striever for for helping us with that. Um, he, he, Bruce Hoffman asked for us. To go on some of his recent renovation, we had a little field trip where we went to see some of the mills um, that uh, Bill Strieber had recently converted into residential office space to understand how could we do mechanical systems with low ceilings. Um, HOK dragged their engineers along and pointed to ductwork like, "Do it like that! Do it like that!" <laughs> you know? So we, you know, you don't have to. It was a reminder that maybe the best things that came out of Camden Yards. We're trying to mimic the best of other industries, not necessarily the best of other sports facilities. And I think we were really blessed with having architects and engineers who were open-minded about that.
1: Janet, before I let you go, you've been involved in so many things, but what does it mean to you 30 years later that we're still celebrating this facility the way that we are and it is still being held up? as this sort of beacon for what uh, baseball stadiums can be and should be within the relation of a city on a personal level what does it mean to you that this is still so important 3 decades removed from the first baseball game there
2: well i think architect joe spear and i talk about this a lot that on the one hand it means everything these are kind of they're like your children you know you 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 you, you You offer them, you nurse them to the ribbon cutting, then you set them free and you stand back and wait to see how they grow up. And so it's having worked on a number of major league parks from the renovation at Fenway to my current work at the Dodgers renovating Dodger Stadium. You still look back at this one. Of course, it was my first baseball facility, so it was especially special for me. It's redundant, but that's all right. It was sort of a, a double, a double blessing, and uh, and yet I think you know um, we all still are holding our breath in a way. Like you, do, you don't really know thirty years is nothing when you look around baseball and you see Fenway and Wrigley at one hundred and ten and one hundred and eight still being seated at Dodger Stadium. Turned sixty this year, yep. so 30 is like nothing. Like we're still a teenager, uh, and. <laughs> Um, I mean, credit the fact that as a design team, and I include the Maryland Stadium Authority and the state transportation and the city planners, in that, you know, we still we still have a little group. We still chat a lot. You know, it bonded us for life, and many of us have had the chance to work together professionally since then, and that, I think, is a testament to one of the things that's behind the success of Camden Yards is that it gelled as a team and we challenged each other and we supported each other and 30 years later we're still you know we're still (laughs) smiling at these sort of fun little stories that come out and I've loved reading some of the some of the press myself Um, even though I know all these stories I don't know all the angles and I've loved hearing uh, Bob Wyatt, who is the construction manager for Barton Mallow, talk about uh, tales that i I knew I knew the highlight. I didn't know the behind the scenes, yeah, you know? <laughs> so that's cool. Uh, it's fun. it's it's absolutely fun, and it's uh, wonderful to watch the Orioles uh, care as much as they do uh, for Camden Yards and celebrate it the way they do. and um what a, what a treat to see another landmark birthday.
1: At Smith Janet Marie on Twitter is how you follow her. She remains the Executive Vice President of Planning and Development for the Dodgers. Janet Marie Smith, uh, I'm, I'm sure you hear it all the time. There should be a place in Cooperstown for you, my friend, and our city will always be grateful for what you did for us and in, in, in giving us new life downtown. Thank you so much for taking a couple of minutes for us this morning to celebrate this birthday. And we look forward to chat with you again real soon. All right.
2: It's... Well, thanks for the call and enjoy opening day at beautiful Oriole Park in Camden Yards.
1: Thank you, Janet. The great Janet Marie, Marie Smith, who has truly, I mean, revolutionized baseball as we know it with the work that she's done, not only here in Baltimore, but obviously with the Red Sox and with the Dodgers and with the Braves over the years. Um, a, a true genius in every sense of the word. Um, there's nobody better than Janet Marie Smith as far as this is concerned. This is, it, it, it you know, it, it's like you've been able to watch Da Vinci. Um, it just so happens that her palette is, um, is, is ballparks, and it's, it's uh, I, I mean it when I say that. There should be a place in the Baseball Hall of Fame for Janet Marie Smith because what she has done has revolutionized the game over the last few decades. All right, today's show is also brought to you by your local Toyota dealer and buyatoyota.com. Make the most out of every day in a Toyota RAV4, available in hybrid or gas-only models. RAV4 can get you where you want to go in style. Check out buyatoyota.com for deals on new RAV4s from your local Toyota dealer today. We continue to celebrate opening day. Our next guest, old friend of ours, play-by-play voice on the radio and sometimes TV for your Baltimore Orioles, he is a friend Mr. Jeff Arnold and he's back with us now here on GCR. What's going on brother? How are you? Glenn, how are we doing, man? Everything's good, man. What's going on with you? Everything I don't what, what what is your off season look like anymore? Like do you do you still do any menial work or do you just get to like have live the good life during the course of the off season these days?
3: Well, you know what Glenn, it's been more the good life oh, over the last uh oh. over the last 2 years. You know, 2020 I used to do some George Washington basketball and right. some different things like that, but you know, uh, in 20, just because 2020 was what it was, right. um, just didn't, and so many games got canceled, and so many things went on that um, I didn't do anything then. I thought I might do a little bit of stuff this offseason, but... Um, you know, didn't end up doing anything, and so I was just kind of living the good life. I ended up meeting somebody, so that that Ooh. was a, that was a good oh, thing for a good sure. Life. Yeah, and, and she kind of appreciates having me around, um, <laughs> yeah. at least in small doses. Yeah. So, um, so yeah. So, I, I, so, you know, off season for me was just a lot of hanging out and you know, doing some work for the season, just waiting for everything to get resolved. And, um, and then, you know, as soon as it was, it's like, all right, pack up, get ready to roll for spring training. And and then we were down in Florida for three and a half weeks and, and then back up here for the first two. I was so. waiting
1: for you to tell me that you were like working on your romance novel or something like that. Like that was the plan. <laughs> that was how you. I'm a good writer. Time. I'm not that good of a writer, Glenn. Oh, I don't. I don't
3: think I'm going to be producing any uh, romantic <laughs> bestsellers anytime soon.
1: Hey, man. Um, you know, like you know, obviously you're very aware there is there is not today there of course be great celebration, but uh, on the whole that it is it is what it is as we have begun the season. Orioles already off to an 0 and 3 start. This year I do think brings a new level of excitement that's not necessarily quite here yet. But do you do you feel as strongly that this year is going to become very important not only with Adley Rutschman's arrival, but D L Hall, Grayson Rodriguez I, to me, this season reflects phase two of what the Orioles' rebuild really is because the arrival of these particular prospects really does appear to be critical for making this plan work.
3: I agree with you, Glenn, and this is the, this is the first look, so to speak, where the Orioles and their fans are going to get their glimpses of Adley Rushman, who everybody's been waiting to see, who it sounds like he's beginning his progression right now and then hopefully he's going to get into some games soon. And once he does, then I would imagine that he would get to the Orioles sooner rather than later. Uh, Mike Elias seemed to indicate that a couple of days ago. And then same thing is true with D.L. Hall, who we were all really excited when he pitched that game against the Phillies in Clearwater. He's throwing 100 miles an hour, and um, I think you have more of that to look forward to. And a great showing by Kyle Braddish, who faced two really good lineups and pitched great. And, and then Grayson Rodriguez, you know, he got a, a short little stint in spring training. And, you know, if he pitches well at triple a, I don't think he has that much more to accomplish. He just needs to, you know, get some reps up at that level and stay healthy. And, um, first game numbers were great. Four innings, uh, 10 in a row set down and, and lots of, lots of great things that came out of that. So I think we could be looking at all of them at some point this year. I would imagine that we would. And then when we do, it's going to, I think, create a bit of a buzz uh, Mm. around this team because, I think we all know that you can't build a team from simply just your prospects, but I think we figure that the Grayson's, the Adley's, they're going to be a centerpiece of the next Orioles team that's competing for the playoffs and, and looking to do bigger and better things. So in that respect, um, when you look at the the driving forces of what are going to be the the turnaround and the the way that you're going to get out of this rebuild, it's going to be those players. And so I think for that reason, this year takes on a little bit more significance.
1: In the meantime, uh, obviously there is baseball to be played, including today against the Brewers and the three down in Tampa this weekend. Um, I, I feel like maybe we should start by saying, hey, let's maybe not overreact to a tough weekend for, say, Cedric Mullins, who was outstanding a year ago and you, you know how this goes at the beginning of the season. Anything that happens in a small sample size because it's what we have to work with, everybody starts panicking and freaking out. Or, mm-hmm. you know, if it goes the other way, you, you win your first three games of the season like you did a year ago, everybody assumes that all of a sudden you're like, wait, my God, we're so far ahead of where we thought we were going to be in this rebuilding process. I just feel like maybe we need to remind everybody it's a really small sample size. Let's not overreact too much. <laughs>
3: You know that's the thing that baseball can do to you. Is that 162 games is going to eventually set in, and you're going to realize that you know you lost the lost the first three, but then again, last year the Orioles swept the Red Sox in the first three, and look right. at what ended up happening to them. And so, like you said, you you never know what's going to happen. It's three games, three games against the Rays, who are just a great pitching team, and they can make you uh, do some things that, that you don't normally do. I mean, they've got a great catcher, they've got a great pitching staff. Um, They have different arms, they have different looks, and the thing about Kevin Cash, who's the Rays' manager, is he always knows when to push the right buttons, and it always seems like he has the right player for the right situation at the right time, and that's why he's uh, consistently up there in manager of the year candidates. So the Rays are a team that you're going to have your issues with, and the Orioles certainly have over the last two years, Uh, but you move on. You you get back into it today against the, the Brewers, a playoff team last year, a team that doesn't hit extremely well um, and a team that over the weekend and I think maybe it was from what I'm, I'm hearing maybe some adjustments to the pitch comp system that didn't pitch very well either um, so you're kind of past a couple of the, the tough arms um, you know right out of the gate Adrian Hauser had the nice year last year so I don't want to discount him or anything but you know there, there are some games here that you could have a chance to win especially if you can get some offense going early on and I think that'll be important for the Orioles especially because you know we saw yesterday we saw it on Friday you know, where you have two men on base, the base is yep. loaded. You know, Corey Kluber walks four. Have to find something to do with that, and and you have to make some opportunities uh, out of those those gifts because um, if you if you bypass them, then you may not get another chance. And um, that was the case when you faced Kluber yesterday, and it was the chance when you faced McClanahan on on Friday
1: most interesting pieces to you but you know besides the knowns besides the mullins the means the mancini's of the world most interesting pieces to you that you you feel like maybe can change their own trajectory as to what their role is within this rebuilding process that are already here at the major league level that we're watching right now
3: i think it's got to be jorge mateo i really do i mean this is a this is a former top prospect with the New York Yankees who was rated higher on prospect list than Aaron Judge and Gary Sanchez and um, just never really had a chance to get his feet under him when he was in San Diego. You know, he was there last year. I think he was mostly a backup outfielder. And with the way that the Padres played, it just wasn't going to see very much playing time. So I think Freddie Gonzalez said at one point last year is maybe one of the best waiver claims that he's ever seen. And Mateo comes in and electrifies immediately with his speed. I still remember that first game that he played against the Rays where he had a triple in a left center field, and he was flying. And now he's getting an opportunity to play some at shortstop, and they've had a Rios play third base. And so I think they want to see how Mateo does it short. I still think he can be an above-average major league defender at second base. I think he could be a key piece to play over there especially if you get away from the shift and especially if rule changes come next year, which get, which get rid of the shift, yep. then you're going to need somebody with range, and he gives that to you. He can play the outfield, though. The Orioles are pretty pretty set with, with their outfield depth, and he can hit a little bit, and he started to walk a little bit more over the weekend, too. As good as the raised pitchers were, you know, Mateo walked three times over the course of the series, and you know, he's been a little bit more of a free swinger in his career. So I think for Mateo, what it comes down to is reps, and all indications are he's going to get a lot of them, um, at the very start of the year
1: I, i'm at least a little intrigued i'm not trying to oversell it but i can't help be a little intrigued by felix batista by the way
3: oh sure how can you not i mean he throws he comes in throwing 100 miles an hour he's i mean first pitch is like 99 and yeah, he said 98 99 he came up and into one hitter and uh he bailed out of the way i was like well at least it was 97 not 99 and then he shows that splitter i mean he's you see him in the clubhouse, he's a massive human being. And so, you know, he's he's got. He's, it's not surprising why he's just got a really good splinger, splitter because his fingers are so big. And uh, and then he tr- showcased a really nice breaking ball. And I think, Glenn, that one thing that helped him out was that the Sunday before, he faced a legit lineup when oh, the yeah. Orioles were playing a spring game against the, the Twins. And so he finally saw Buxton, Correa. You know, seeing guys like that as opposed to coming in, in the middle of a spring training game where it's, basically all minor leaguers at that point, I think just to, to kind of feel what the, the heartbeat is like and, and to feel what the intensity is like when you're seeing those guys. And, you know, the, the first time there was some good and there was some bad. And, you know, he would get head 0-2 and then he'd throw four balls afterwards. And, you know, I think that there's going to be still an adjustment for him as he tries to work on his command. But the stuff is elite. That is stuff that does not come along very often. And so... Um, I think that that when you say that that's somebody to be intrigued by, I I certainly think you're right.
1: All right, Jeff Arnold. Just one more on you, man, because, you know, this is your third year, but obviously we know the last two years have been super weird. Do Mm -hmm. do you get some additional goosebumps today doing, like, the first Bedlam downtown opening day that you've done with the Orioles and knowing, you know, it's going to be a pretty packed stadium? Like, do, do you feel something maybe a little bit different? Is there... I don't know a reset going back to day one on the job, something along those lines.
3: A hundred percent, Glenn. I was actually saying that to to, a, to another show earlier on today, and, and saying that you know last year was special because I think a lot of last year was fans were back in the ballpark after twenty twenty. There was nobody there, so that was really cool. And I think the second thing that was really cool was uh, was was Trey's return to to, the, to Baltimore and yep. fans and the two standing ovations that he got. You know, one before the game, one after the game. But this year is different because last year there still were capacity restrictions. Now they're not. And so you're going to have a, a packed house. You're going to have lots of people at this game. You're going to have a, a, a Brewers team that was in the playoffs last year. It's a, a good ball club. Uh, you got Bruce Zimmerman on the mound who is from the city. And it will be nice to see the ballpark packed. And so I think that uh, – I think I said earlier it will be a pinch-me moment and a moment that I'll remember because I've never seen – uh, a home opener where I've been calling a game that is going to be as packed probably as it's going to be today. That'll be really memorable. That'll be really cool. And so, yeah, I, I, I without a doubt think that that this is gonna this is gonna be probably for me one of the more special moments
1: that I've gotten to do here. It's really cool, goosebump-inducing type of stuff, man. At mm-hmm. at Jeff on the air, of course, is how you follow him. That's G E O F F at Jeff on the air for Jeff Arnold, my friend. Happy for you. Enjoy it. Appreciate you taking the time as always. Let's talk again real soon. All right. It's, all right, Glenn. Be well. It's Jeff Arnold, Orioles play-by-play voice, checking in with us. No, it was not a good weekend for the Orioles down in Tampa. No, we cannot be surprised by that. The Rays are very good. The Orioles are not very good, and also particularly bad against the Rays. Just for whatever. I mean it. Part of it is because they're not very good, and the Rays are very good. But it just so happens to be that on top of that, they're particularly bad against the Rays. Uh, I know, Paul, you were railing on Twitter all weekend about their inability to hit with runners on base, and it's one for twenty-six
0: in the three games. It's just god awful.
1: I mean, I hear you, man. Like, I and and I, I guess somebody might say that's the one fair complaint because like the thought was going into this season, hey, the the lineup's fairly respectable. It's the pitching that's the problem. Mm-hmm. And so when it's your offense that's the part that's letting you down over the course of the first weekend, I I guess it's I can't be bummed by much of anything. This is mm, the thing that right. I always talk about. Like I have so just no expectations for this baseball team. So there's nothing they can do that can disappoint me. Now, would it be disappointing if Cedric Mullins individual his struggles continued and we get to June and we feel completely differently about Cedric Mullins than we did on opening day. Yeah, that would be very disappointing, almost more on a personal level than anything right. else, because I like Cedric Mullins and I I want well for him, but I do think that we all had the responsibility to say like hey, you know, you got to stack seasons, you got to prove who you are and Cedric still needs to do that moving forward. He's going to have to continue just because you had one outstanding season does not suddenly just make you a superstar because you want to be. You have to continue to stack that and prove that's who you are moving forward. And we'll see. 3 days does not tell us the story by any stretch of the imagination on Cedric Mullins.
0: Absolutely. And and I'm I'm watching the game and uh, the games, and you feel like the Orioles have this really good lineup because we've seen the potential that all these guys have. Yep. But what we don't think about, and when you get that hard crash back down to reality, is that right now they have a lineup that's filled with a lot of guys who are super aggressive, don't work counts, and mm-hmm. th- therefore don't get on base. And that's what happens when you have guys on first and second or first and third with less than two outs, and you're seeing a strikeout and then a ground out or a double play because they aren't working pitches and making the pitcher work
1: harder. That's a very fair point too. That's a very fair point. That's sort of how they've been built. Um you know, what it's what it I hate say, I hate being dismissive of it. I I wish I c- I can't tune into the bat around on Saturday mornings and they'll break it down a little bit more. I I can't get invested in that way. Um I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm just I'm not I'm not capable of doing it until until there's a point at which uh, it is worthy of that amount of investment for me emotionally, or you guys seem to demand, you know, because you guys are giving it. I, it, if 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 I felt like the city was that invested, I would definitely be invested. I just don't, I don't feel it. And in fact, I, I'm not trying to, to rain on the parade today, but I think it's also pretty clear that even even opening day, well, yes, there will definitely be a crowd and there will definitely be an atmosphere and a vibe downtown. It it ain't. I mean, go right now and see just how many tickets are still available. I th- I'm amazed at the fact that the Orioles were selling single
0: game tickets for Opening Day, and well, they've they been doing it selling for, them a while
1: ago. Yeah, because and, and they, knew. they don't they don't do
0: that, and they did it this year because look the the level of excitement around this team is probably at an all time low because of how much national criticism they're getting. You look at how low their payroll is, and doesn't seem like they put much effort into this major league roster. And you know, I got I gotta say, I'm excited because it's the Orioles, but I'm my my. Enthusiasm enthusiasm is lower right now than it probably will be in July or August when you have guys like Adley Rutschman, Grayson Rodriguez, D.L. Hall on the major league roster. I'll be more excited then because you're getting a glimpse of the future right now. Right, It's a team
1: full of I the hate to say placeholders. Yeah, and look again with the with the accept, as we said a year, a year ago, we thought Cedric Mullins was a placeholder. So there right. is absolutely a possibility that someone who we believe at the moment is a placeholder mm-hmm. can end up rewriting their story. That's the conversation we we're just having with Jeff Arnold yeah, about Jorge For him, having a great start. One thousand percent. Okay, okay. There are definitely once upon a time John Means was nothing more than a placeholder. Right. So we'll see. Is all like, we will see if anyone else ends up becoming a part of the plan moving forward. Yeah. Um, at the moment, I don't feel strongly about the idea that anyone is likely to become part of, a, of the plan, but, you know, that can change. I mean, you hope that somebody, you know, doesn't go the other way where we feel strongly about them and then we don't feel so strongly about them you know John Means looked fine on on Friday that's a that's a good thing we like for John Means to to be a thing and continue to be a thing
0: and up until yet I mean there's only two games prior but yeah. the bullpen the short relievers yeah. have looked solid they look fine, to yeah, start 100% yeah.
1: 100% All right uh, when we come back in we're going to recap the masters fred funk eight time winner on the PGA tour is going to join us Maryland's own that's coming up next don't forget that uh, we need some folks. Join a proud new generation of Baltimore police and make an active difference in your community. Start with competitive wages and excellent benefits on day one. Join for good, bpdrecruit.org. It is an opening day edition of Glenn Clark Radio.
4: Hey, O's families, break out your orange and black for Kids Opening Day on April 17th when the O's take on the New York Yankees. Be one of the first 7,500 fans, 14 and under, to receive an Orioles pop-it toy. And after the game, kids are invited to take to the field and run the bases like the pros, all presented by Wise Markets. Plus, experience a family fun day at the yard with caricatures, the Easter Bunny, and more. Celebrate the 30th anniversary of Camden Yards with Kids Opening Day. Buy now at Orioles.com slash kids.
1: Baseball is back, and so is the spring seasonal menu at Glory Days Grill. Start with the opener flash fried pork belly with our popular Korean number no. two sauce, and take a bite out of the crunch burger topped with home run sauce, white American cheese, and house made chips. It also features irresistible options like a baseball cut sirloin with blue cheese, grilled shrimp with garlic butter, and a strawberry salmon salad. And then there's the closer the Cracker Jack Sunday with a waffle, ice cream, and Cracker Jack. This menu will be going, going, gone at your neighborhood
5: Glory Days Grill, glorydaysgrill.com to find out more. Great food, good sports. The newest edition of PressBox is available now. On the cover, we celebrate the 20th anniversary of Maryland Men's Basketball's 2002 NCAA Tournament Championship, as Gary Williams reflects on how the program rose from the ashes of NCAA sanctions to the pinnacle of the sport, and why his perspective of the title run has changed now, two decades later. Plus, Juan Dixon, Lonnie Baxter, and the rest of the team relive the moments that ultimately led them to cutting down the nets in Atlanta. PressBox is available for free at over 500 area locations, including The Toyota Tacoma comes in a wide range of models and trim lines. You can
1: choose the perfect Toyota to reflect your unique personality and driving habits. Check out buyatoyota.com for deals on new Tacomas from your local Toyota dealer today. If you miss anything, don't forget that you can find whole shows later on
5: Spotify, Apple, or Amazon podcasts. It's Glenn Clark Radio.
1: All right, back in here on what is a busy opening day edition. I literally, it took all of 40 minutes from when I said I wasn't going to the baseball game for that to change. I'm going. But like like you, I'm taking my dad. So we'll have a good time. We're going to go to the game. And I appreciate uh, I was offered I was offered uh, a pair of tickets. So thank you to uh, John Colson, who, in fact, made the offer to me. And I appreciate that. I, probably after he heard me say I wasn't planning on going to the game today. And he said, I bet I can change that. <sighs> so it is. All right, we'll have a good time. The weather's nice too, by the way. The weather's what's it supposed to get up to today? It's supposed to be up in like the sixties, right? The,
0: the highs in the in the low sixties. Yeah. Usually it gets a little bit higher than that. When that's they a have decent that, day for a baseball it's gonna game. Going to be near eighty the next three days. So oh. I'm going on Wednesday, and the low is sixty-two that day. So I'm excited <sighs> for that. Oh boy, that's, that's the not, high. That sounds real nice.
1: That sounds real nice. All right, um, let's switch gears. We will talk plenty more baseball throughout the course of today's program, but right now want to talk about the masters what a dominant performance from scotty scheffler holy smokes and what a heater he is on right now joining us try to give us some context for what it is that scotty scheffler is doing As a man who of course won eight times on the pga tour he is maryland's own the great freddie funk is back with us now here on gcr fred it's glenn and paul in baltimore it's always good to catch up with you sir thank you for taking a couple of minutes for us Sure. Good morning, guys. How you doing? Hey, Fred, what would you describe as the best heater you've ever been on in your golf life? The best what? Heater. Just hot. The, the just, heater? Yeah, heater. Hot stretch of play.
6: Oh, the heater. Hot stretch of play. Okay. Uh, oh, man. I don't know. I, I was playing really good in um, 2001, 2002. I was playing really consistent golf almost every week. So that was uh my good stretch.
1: It wasn't it quite wasn't anything like Scotty right. <laughs> It wasn't quite like winning four or six events, including the Masters going away. Can, can you give us context as to what it is that we're watching? For for the for the people that don't understand the sport, that don't care about golf week in, week out, that only pay attention around, say like the Masters, what he's done going back to Phoenix a couple months ago. How much, what can you say, how do you describe what this has been like for a player like him?
6: Well, this is Tigerish. ish uh, You know, you talk about Tiger being the all-time best of the best. I'm not sure he had a streak this good. Uh, I'd have to go back in the history books, which I don't do. You guys do that. Yeah. But I don't recall Tiger winning four out of six events. Uh, I'm sure he has because he's done everything else. But uh, you know, what Scotty's doing is ridiculous. I mean, to win four tournaments in a career is a pretty good career, and to win four in six weeks, including a major, including the match play, uh, ridiculous. It's just you can't comprehend that. I don't think he's even comprehending what he's done.
1: Tiger in 2000 had a pretty similar run. But, like, again, even if that's it, that's what we're talking about. We're comparing him to Tiger freaking Woods, you know. (laughs) Like, that is unbelievable company. Freddie, do we have to start assuming now that this is who Scotty Scheffler is moving forward, that he is a dominant, perhaps, threat, that he is a player that could not just win right now but could win for some time? Or is it possible that someone – could simply just be playing brilliant golf for the span of of four months and that's no guarantee that it's something that can continue for the next couple of years.
6: Now, I got to know Scotty when he was playing for University of Texas because my son was his teammate. Right. And uh, my wife was actually out with him a lot more than I was. But Scotty has a different mentality, I think, that is setting him apart. He doesn't really get caught up in the limelight limelight and – he doesn't seem to be phased by uh, the company he's keeping. Uh, when he's out there playing, when he was a rookie, it didn't matter if he was playing with Tiger or Phil or uh, Kepka or any of those guys. He just went out and played his game. He's really not phased by them. He has his own style. He's very calm and cool, uh, at least on the outside. And you know, apparently there was an article how he was a little overwhelmed. Uh, the yep. morning of the final round yesterday, and he was bawling his eyes out with his wife and stuff like that. That uh, he was, you know, it was a long time till his tea time, and he was just getting overwhelmed because your mind just takes off. But he seems to be able to handle that. I think he's going to be a continual uh, dominant player. I think just because of his attitude. I never thought, and I still don't think there'll ever be another Tiger Woods. Uh, I don't see that happening. I don't see quite that kind of play. But then at the same time, he gets himself in position to win and he just blows right through the door and wins them. And the way he played this week, it was phenomenal. The the short game he showed, the tenacity and and the skill on and around the greens was unbelievable at that golf course because that uh, that can be goofy golf there. And the the chip-in when. Oh. he chipped in on three that was changed everything ridiculous. what a that won the tournament
7: for him right there no doubt no okay.
1: doubt Fred Funk is with us of course he refers to his uh his son Taylor who played at, at Texas with Scotty Scheffler Freddie you know you, you referenced a couple of those things the emotions that he talked about beforehand you know uh, crying and not knowing if he was ready for the moment and then we saw on the final hole right a four putt and and literally him having to sort of recompose himself a couple of times there when he had plenty of of room he could he could afford a few more putts if it had taken that in order to get it there do you think those are actually healthy things like someone should be so reverent towards a moment like that or is it at all concerning to you because you're not always going to have this many strokes to play with when you're trying to win tournaments like this
6: no uh that was a little shaky but he definitely was feeling the nerves right there and and was overwhelmed, but at the same time, he's made clutch putts over, you know, after clutch putt. Every time he needed to make them, it seemed like he hit good putts, even if they didn't go in. Uh, There on 18 was, I would think and hope it's an anomaly. That's not going to happen very often. It just, the greens are slick, and he pulled the little one, and then he got above the hole again, and and ripped that one by, and and all of a sudden, he's got a three- or four-footer again for his fourth putt, and it gets a little scary, and uh, I've been there. I made a five-putt in my worst moment at TPC when Tiger was on the mm. tee at 17 watching mm. me do this whole thing. Mm. Yeah, in fact, I was ahead of him during the better-than-most call when he did that one. <laughs> <And> so, <laughs> so a little trivia there. No, it's but not bad. Scotty was, was definitely feeling the
1: nerves. Oh, there's no doubt about it. All right, let's talk about Tiger, obviously, Fred. Um, it, it, we, I think we all know it is truly amazing – uh, given where he was, that he was able to get through the weekend. Of course, you know, he was not physically able to hold up for the, the course of the four days, and we saw that come out. We recognize how significant it is, but, you know, do we have to remind ourselves, like, hey, that th- there is – it's still probably unlikely that we see Tiger be Tiger really ever again.
6: Yeah, I kind of agree with you on that one. It's this foot injury, ankle, leg Uh, that was pretty devastating. That was, um, you know, from what I was told from some of the inside sources or really a doctor that knew the doctor that I played with in a pro-am and just said if it wasn't Tiger, they would have amputated and it would have been a lot easier for him to to deal with the amputation than trying to nurse this thing back to playing at a high level again. But Tiger's a different animal and different breed. And when he came back from... You know the last debacle with his back, and and got out of pain, and he ended up winning the Zozo, and then he won the Masters. Like, okay, I I told a lot of guys, I said if he ever gets out of pain, he's still Tiger Woods. He can still play, and he can still play. It's just he was definitely favoring, and that that uh, golf course is pretty tough to walk for sure. Mm-hmm. And I think he's going to play. I know he's going to play St Andrews. Because uh, he well, he committed. You don't never know what he's going to play. What happens between now and then? But that's dead flat golf. Of course, he loves it. So um, he'll. I think he'll be gearing up for that. I don't know whether he'll play Southern Hills or Brookline, but uh, I know he's gearing up for that St. Andrews. And and hopefully it won't be his last stop. But uh, you, you just you just don't know. That was a devastating injury.
1: And then, can I ask you before I let you go, Freddie? About you know just how how do players how do you guys you know that are in the circle handle everything that's going on with Phil right now like it was really weird not having him around and and sort of not knowing when we might see him and and how people might treat him and it, it's such a tricky situation that you're dealing with here but how yeah. how do you guys handle the conversations do you do you sympathize with them and like his fight with the PGA or do you say dude what do you, you're an idiot! What are you doing? Like, how do you guys handle this entire conversation?
6: Well, I think this is the one time Phil Phil kind of spoke out, and he was saying some truths here and there. Uh, but at the same time, uh, he was supporting an organization that was going to undercut the tour, and they were trying to because they're truly trying to steal right. the top players, and uh, you know that's that's a big deal. I mean, uh, Phil has always voiced his opinion and this time it kind of caught up with him and i don't know what's going to happen with that I'd, the irony is is phil's in a perfect situation for the model of that saudi league if uh you never know he's probably never going to win or like he did the pga last year and he can play the champions tour he's playing well there when he goes out but uh that guaranteed money in his position if somebody's throwing 150, 200 million at you. Right. And you're going to say, you know, come on out. Okay. Right. I'm coming out. Right. Uh, right. So, you know, I could see that in the position that he's in or a guy like maybe Westwood or somebody like that. But not the studs that are still playing really, really well. The McElroys and the Is Speaking of which, those two guys on 18 yesterday were Oh, ridiculous. what a cool
1: moment, right? Oh, it was so yeah. cool. God. You know,
6: that. That was so awesome. I mean, the reaction of, of both when they showed the wide view of Rory making it and Morikawa with his arms up, and then and, then, and Rory's reaction when he made it, and then Rory's reaction when Morikawa made it. It was, it was so, so cool. cool.
1: So cool. So cool. Yeah.
6: Oh, man. So, I know I went off a segue. No, 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 but you're while. right. I you're know. right. It was a cool moment. You're not wrong <laughs> to yeah, bring it up. I, don't, I don't know where Phil's going to end up. Uh, that's a good question.
1: Freddie, what's up for you, with you? What's going on, and where's your schedule taking you?
6: Well, I just had back surgery three weeks ago, three and a half weeks ago, and I'm actually coming back pretty quick. I'm planning on going to Dallas next week. Okay. Um, and start gearing up, trying to see if I can get my game back and uh, maybe start competing again. I've had a hard time the last few years, and, and uh, I just feel like I want to compete. I want to work at it to get there. I just haven't been able to my body hadn't been working too well either, so I'm gonna try to do the best I can and uh go out there and and see see what happens. I love competing you know that's another thing I mean just on a side note when you're talking about tiger, he doesn't need to be doing all this stuff great point his 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 legacy is set i mean he's the best arguably the all time and it's amazing that he even wants to do it and and uh, put himself through all this just to go out there and and try to win. But he believes that if he can get out of pain, he can win, and he already proved that when he won the Masters the last time. So uh, you you just don't know. If for some reason that leg gets him out of pain and he can figure out how to just even walk without pain, that would be tremendous for him. And then he's off and running again. He's literally going to be off and running again. But right now he's playing in pain. He's dealing yep. with it a lot, and that's just hard to overcome all that stuff.
1: By the way, you say you were struggling, like you didn't literally make a PGA Tour cut at the age of sixty-four, Fred Funk. Like we, we all remember that <laughs> happening, my man. <laughs> yeah, I did. I did. But the, uh, yeah, that was pretty good. <laughs> yeah, that was it didn't a good suck coming in. <laughs> <laughs> it didn't suck, Fred Funk. It's always great to catch up with you, my friend. Thank you for taking a couple of minutes for us. Let's talk again here soon. All right. It's... All right, you got any time, guys? Thanks, right. brother. Take care. Fred Funk, checking in with us here on GCR. The dude made a cut on the PGA Tour at the age of 64, and he's like, yeah, I've been struggling to find my game. Okay, man. The hell of a player Fred Funk was, and still still is capable of being. Um, had a great time uh, watching the Masters in the FanDuel Sportsbook, as I mentioned, and it is a bummer that it wasn't more competitive, and we felt that as we were trying to engage people and get them to go back up. I, uh, I felt, I felt good. The only bets I made yesterday in the sports book, I made one on Cam Smith to win when I arrived. So <laughs> that didn't work out so well. Uh, but then I also made one they offered, and this is why there's nothing quite like being in the sports book and making your bets live. They offered a bet where you could take Cameron Smith and Scotty Scheffler out of the equation and bet on who would finish best of everybody else. And I think Rory was through like four holes at that point and was looking pretty good. And I said, I looked at Drew and I said, you know, look at this without Scheffler and Cameron Smith bet. What do you think? And Drew was like, I'm all over Sung J.M., all over it. In fact, asked me to go put more money in for him on Sung J.M. And I was like, I think I'm going to throw a couple bucks down on Rory. Like, I just got a funny... He, he was like, on
0: f- – that shot, that but, sand but it, shot but was – But
1: that was at the end of the day. I'm saying this was when he was only a couple holes into the day. Mm-hmm. And I was just arriving, getting set up. I was like, I don't know, man. I got a funny feeling about it. So I plunked down 40 bucks, and I made $110, and that covered all you. of the money that I lost for the weekend. I actually came out net $10 positive for the weekend because I had also lost my Tony Finau and my um, – Oh God, my uh, Xander Schoflake <sighs> didn't even make the cut.
0: I almost drove down to the casino last week to make that bet on the. Top oh, all of four of them finishing the top 20? twenty. Uh, yeah, I t- good thing he didn't. I talked, I talked myself out of it. Yeah. three times. Yeah, I actually made the turn to go down there, and I said, Nope, yep. don't do this by Friday. That bet Oh, was it was over. dead,
1: dead, dead. Well, Chauvelet was in it. He didn't make the cut. Yeah. <laughs> he didn't make dead, the cut, dead, and uh,
0: DeShambo De- didn't make the cut. That's right. And oh, DeShambo. Fit-
1: not, not, not even did not DeShambo not make the cut. DeShambo got his at Larry Mize had a better two days than Bryson DeShambo did. He got his ass kicked.
0: And, and Victor Hoblin didn't even finish below par. Yeah, it was
1: it, a, was. it was not. It did not work out so well. Did not work out well. But well, again, you- Rory, save my ass. Net positive for the week because of Rory. I
0: I, I suppose I could save this for a tid bet, but it's not a ton of money for mm-hmm. for the for a tid bet. But you remember my co best men at my wedding, and okay, uh, the one Chris who I called Topher. Okay, um, he Topher put,
1: Grace from that <laughs> '70s show. What's he, he doing with, what's he doing with his life?
0: He's doing that '90s show on Netflix.
1: Yeah, but didn't didn't he do something else? Didn't I? Oh, he's on the ABC show. He's on yeah, um, uh, Home Economics. Home Economics. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, with Jimmy Tatro, who I like.
0: So my uh my buddy Toph, he had a bet where if the if the winner finished at twelve under he stood to win eight hundred and fifty oh,
1: bucks. Oh, dude! And then Scheffler oh, misses a four dude. foot putt. For Mac- minus Apparently, 12. Pat McAfee similarly had a ticket for because we had been talking. Drew and I had been talking about it during the day as we were realizing there's no drama in who's winning the tournament. So like we got to find some other things to talk up that people can go bet. And the winning score being 11 under or better was mm-hmm. one that we were talking up quite a bit. Quite a bit. And then he misses two,
0: three, four footers.
1: <laughs> brutal, brutal. Also, there was a bet where you could get a bogey free round and i that's the only one that I really regret because you couldn't bet it at the window. You're going to have to bet it at the kiosk. Mm-hmm. I walked up to put 40 bucks on Rory for a bogey free round that would have paid something like $200. Mm-hmm. I'm quite bitter that that one did not catch rory was quite. on fire well and it's funny man. too because at the end drew was laughing because he was struggling the last hole he's like you're gonna lose that one good thing he didn't put that in, and then of course he knocked it in from the bunker like one of the best shots and one of the best damn moments it was i've ever so seen so cool in golf. It, it was, was so it was cool awesome. so cool i mean i mean obviously it doesn't compare to like tigers chip in and 16 and right. you know it, it, things like because like he still had an outside chance at that point, but it was extraordinarily outside chance at that point. So it can't compare to like you know, right? But Jack the and moment, and then, yeah, it was um, still cool. It was, yes, the fact that it went back to back with Morikawa, yes, yeah, it was yeah. it was awesome. All right, uh, hour number one is in the books. By by the way, also, I feel like I deserve more credit because um, I stayed awake through an entire round of golf. I believe for the first time in my life. There you go. I'm not even Saturday. Um, the kids were dying eggs at my my aunt's house. And I don't. I have nothing to do with dyeing the eggs. That's for them, the young people. So I slipped in. I I put the masters on. I said, Hey, I'm gonna be talking about this tomorrow down at the FanDuel Sportsbook. I might as well know what's going on. And I fell asleep no fewer than three times. Yeah. As I was attempting to watch. It happens. It's it's my normal Sunday. It's what what it is. Um, But I stayed awake through an entire. I mean, from start to finish, from the time the leaders teed off till the end of the round, I stayed awake the entire time at the FanDuel Sportsbook. It was a struggle at times because it was. There's not a lot of drama involved. There was very little drama involved in that round. But I made it through the entire time, and I think I deserve credit for it. Into hour number two of the program. Tonight, Stan the Fan, Charles Ross Grimsley, are going to do a post-opening day spectacular. They're going to do it a little bit later on, so you can get back from the game at 8 o'clock. They'll be chatting with the great Kenny Singleton, facebook.com slash pressboxsports, so you can watch it tomorrow, pressboxonline.com slash video. We'll come back in. Uh, I got. I want to talk to your dad for a second uh, I'll bring uh back in. and then are we going to chat with Jim Crowley is that part of the plan yeah we so to just the spend line. a minute uh, chatting with uh, Bruce Zimmerman's high school coaches it's, it is a neat story that Bruce Zimmerman is making the start here on opening day local kid made good so the former head uh, baseball coach at Loyola Jim Crowley the son of Terry Crowley in fact uh, he's going to check in with us a little bit later on as well that's all coming up Glenn Clark Radio
4: Hey O's families, break out your orange and black for Kids Opening Day on April 17th when the O's take on the New York Yankees. Be one of the first 7,500 fans, 14 and under, to receive an Orioles pop-it toy. And after the game, kids are invited to take to the field and run the bases like the pros. All presented by Wise Markets. Plus, experience a family fun day at the yard with caricatures, the Easter Bunny, and more. Celebrate the 30th anniversary of Camden Yards with Kids Opening Day. Buy now at Orioles.com kids.
1: Answering Baltimore's calls for help. Running in when others run away. Working together toward one shared vision for a thriving city. That's your Baltimore Police. But the department needs more good people. People like you. Join a proud new generation of Baltimore Police and make an active difference in your community. Start with competitive wages and excellent benefits on day one. Join for good at bpdrecruit.org. Sports betting has come to Maryland,
0: and we're ready to help you win some money. Tune in for Simply the Bets with Glenn Clark and Paul Valley every Tuesday morning at 11.40. FanDuel Sportsbook GM Bruce Billick and VEASAN's Aaron Oster join the guys every week to give you all of the info you need and even a few winners. So come win some money with us on Simply the Bets every Tuesday at 11.40 a.m. Brought to you by the FanDuel Sportsbook at Live Casino and Hotel Maryland. Listen at PressBoxOnline.com slash radio. Watch at YouTube.com slash PressBoxOnline.
1: Baseball is back, and so is the spring seasonal menu at Glory Days Grill. Start with the opener flash fried pork belly with our popular Korean number no. two sauce, and take a bite out of the crunch burger topped with home run sauce, white American cheese, and house made chips. It also features irresistible options like a baseball cut sirloin with blue cheese, grilled shrimp with garlic butter, and a strawberry salmon salad. And then there's the closer the Cracker Jack Sunday with a waffle, ice cream, and Cracker Jack. This menu will be going, going, gone at your neighborhood Glory Days Grill, glorydaysgrill.com to find out more. Great food, good sports. Baseball is
0: back. I'm Paul Valley, And I'm Zach Goodman. You can find us live every Saturday from 10 a.m. to noon talking all things Orioles and Major
4: League Baseball. Like the debuts of Adley Rutschman and Grayson Rodriguez.
0: And how the rotation and bullpen are rounding into form. Watch us live at youtube.com slash pressboxonline and facebook.com slash pressboxsports. Or you can listen at pressboxonline.com slash radio. That's the bat live with the latest in baseball coverage every Saturday from 10 a.m. to noon. We can't imagine why you'd want to, but you can watch GCR Live. It's at Facebook.com
6: slash sports, And try to guess whether these guys are wearing any pants.
1: All right, into hour number two of today's program. You are running out of time to pick up this print issue of PressBox. Only about one more week that this one will be out on stands celebrating the 20th anniversary of Maryland's men's basketball 2002 national championship. And then... It is gone forever. We have a new print issue coming in just about a week. So go get to your neighborhood Royal Farms, any of the hundreds of locations around town where you find PressBox or PressBoxOnline.com to read this issue before it is gone for good. I mean, it's always going to be available online, but you get the point. You won't be able to get the actual issue. One week, well, maybe nine days. Maybe I think it's next Wednesday is the date that the new issue hits newsstands. We'll be telling you about that one here in the coming days. All right, I have a, I have a question for Dr. Paul Valley. All right, uh, Dr. Valley, if you would slide right up to that microphone, please. It's first of all, it's nice to, to see you. I think we probably met at the wedding, but it's it's good to actually uh, to, to, to say hello and. And I appreciate the fact that uh, you stopped in to, to hang out with us today. Thanks for stopping by.
8: Well, thank you very much. Uh, nice meeting you, too.
1: All right. So I have, uh, I have been told a thing or two about you. But nothing has fascinated me more than this story. You are such a fan of the Baltimore Ravens that you don't watch the games. Pleased to be explaining yourself.
8: Yeah, I. uh, needless to say, I'm kind of disappointed with the Baltimore major sports in that— Wait a second.
1: I don't know if we can lump the Ravens in with the Orioles right
8: now. But anyway— Hang on a second. Yeah, you can tell—ask Paul, I got very irritated that the Ravens, who on paper were supposed to be a good team, but, of course, 21 on the IR— Yes, And I kind of hold them responsible for that. Is is this you
1: as a doctor holding them responsible for it? Okay, all right, fair enough.
8: And I said, okay, 21 on the IR, you can't necessarily play victim to that. Could you have done anything wrong? What are you going to do? And uh, what are you going to do to prevent the same thing happening uh, next year? It was just a disastrous season. When you take a look at the number of players, it's a good team. But if you can't play, you can't win.
1: Okay, but you didn't watch the games. We've got to get to that part of this yeah. equation.
8: Yeah, the, the reason that I don't watch the games is because I'm going to get irritated. <laughs>
1: okay, When they don't play, what is the point of being a fan if you're not going to watch the game? (laughs) And I've been asking him this for years. And I understand you and I have talked about it, but now I need to put it directly. Like I, I do this a lot of times with Would You Rather Wednesday, where I'll say a scenario like, "Hey, the Orioles are going to win the World Series, but you got to be stuck in a room somewhere and you can't watch it." And everybody's like, "Well, then what the hell is the point?" Like, no offense, like I like the idea of them winning, but if I don't get to enjoy it, then what does it mean to me?
8: Well, I would say that I am a fair weather fan. I love okay. them if they're, if they're playing well and but wait, if they're okay, not.
1: But would you, do you watch the game? No. no. Ever? No. No matter how they're doing. He,
0: he only watches when I, when I am at his house and make him watch.
8: That is correct. I'll put them on like the last two minutes of the game because <laughs> it irritates me if they're losing or doing boneheaded things during so the game. So what are
1: you doing during the game instead? What What oh. is it? Are you aware of what's going on in the game? Do no. you check your? No. no, you go for a walk. Yeah,
8: walk, read, <laughs> play golf, do whatever I'm gonna do, and then try. Why <laughs> try be? To see.
1: But wait, wait, at some point, don't you just reconsider whether or not you really want to be a fan? <laughs> like at some point, do you just say to yourself, "Maybe I'm not really a fan."
8: Well. Uh, that's a very good point. Right. Glenn. Maybe I'm not.
1: Okay, <laughs> and that's fair. I have no a problem a, with it. A that. point that I've made <laughs> to him several <laughs> times over. I can understand being apprehensive about watching a game, right? Yes. But not watching. <laughs> the, the where does the joy come? When do you get to enjoy sports fandom? If you don't actually watch the games, what's the enjoyment for you?
8: The enjoyment would be if I turn it on the last two games or after the game and they've won, then...
1: <laughs> you get to high-five everybody else. <laughs> then around. I get
8: the high-five. Hey, high five. the
0: team won. The last time my dad called me, the, the, I recall, with joy in his heart about the Ravens, was when Justin Tucker hit the game with well, a field was, goal against... It was, it no, 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 it, oh. no, not the 66-yarder. Oh. As a rookie in Denver in the at the Mile High Miracle, he called me beside himself happy almost oh, how tears much
1: of that game Justin had you Tucker. watched
8: oh i actually well i was coming home from delaware i actually watched uh, by the time i got there it was only the last half and i did watch that
1: uh, when did you start day? this not watching the games thing how long how long did it go to that begin?
8: oh my goodness i'll bet you it's been at least 10 years Ten
1: years? Did Probably. you watch the Super Bowl? Did you? Yes. Okay.
8: Oh, see, the Ravens weren't playing. He can watch that.
1: Wait, wait. Did you? No. When the Ravens won the yes. Super Bowl?
8: Yes. I did. W- I did
1: watch Super Bowl forty-seven. The... I mean, oh, yeah.
8: gotcha, gotcha. Ye- yes, I did.
1: Okay. So, what is the poly- When will you? Wa- you're going to the game today. I assume you're not just going to wander the concourse. Mm. <laughs> I don't. <laughs> I don't imagine you brought uh, a Jeff Arnold romance novel to read in the stands <laughs> while the game was going on. Well, the reason
8: is I'm g- going to the game. I. Uh, don't expect that they're going to do well. So if so, they you're not worked well, up about it at all. I'm not worked up about.
1: He it. He says okay.
0: that now. Just wait till the middle of
8: the game. Well, it's are already- you? Is
1: there a chance you're going to get up and walk away? Is there a chance?
8: I won't let yeah, him. No. Okay. No, I no, I won't walk. Um, and I know that they're in a re- they're re- in a rebuilding mode. So I got there's it. a
1: real chance my father and I might leave after the sixth <laughs> inning. We might just <laughs> no, look at each other I like we're no, good. We've th- seen enough.
8: <laughs> no, I don't think so. But Paul. Uh, convinced me three or four years ago he says you know dad um no they're not and they're rebuilding so you can't look at the record he says the record's probably not going to be good and i said okay so doing that that's okay it's when this you expect that right. a team's supposed to do well and right they don't He's, that's that's the deal all right so here's
1: what would it look like if you did, you know again, a Ravens game where there are expectations, we don't know who they're going to play in week one because the schedule's not out yet, right? But let's just say there's a week one game. Let's say maybe the Saints, the trip to New Orleans is the week one game. What would it look like at Dr. Valley's house if you did actually sit down at kickoff to watch the football game? could you could you could you and Paul uh, please help your father? If if you you don't feel like he's selling it well enough.
8: I can tell you exactly what it would look like, but I want to hear what he has to say. All right,
1: paint the picture.
8: Okay, Um, as long as it was going well, I would be in a good mood. If they did some not-so-good things, (laughs) (laughs) I would probably be upset and get an attitude, and I'd make other people around me rather
1: uncomfortable. Right. Can uh, you uncomfortable? Could you could you maybe? Um, I'll play. I tell you what. You play the role of your dad, okay? And I'm gonna play the role of you. Mm-hmm. All right. And we're gonna be sitting at your dad's house, watching the Ravens. Uh, you know what? Maybe the Browns game this year, where Lamar Jackson fumbled the ball four times, but they still won, or they turned, through threw four interceptions, but they still won the football game. All right. All right. Okay. That's just. That's just. Here we go. Hey, dad. Thanks for inviting me over for the game. Oh, dang it! Lamar just threw an interception. Why can't he
0: complete a simple pass? You're an NFL quarterback. It is
1: your job to complete passes.
0: Why can't you complete a pass?
1: You're you're right, Dad. But, hey, there's a lot of game left. The Ravens are still on the lead. Everything's going to be all right. Uh,
0: I'll tell you, Paul. He's got a... He's got to start doing better. Or they're not going to win this football game.
1: Now, see, this doesn't seem that bad. I got to be honest with you. This doesn't seem that bad. Like this doesn't. You're. you're this seems like you could sit around and watch, especially with your son. You could sit around and watch the game and have an honest conversation with it. There's nothing unreasonable that you said here. Okay. See, this gonna, is. You want to y- fast forward a little bit?
0: You're now. Okay. <laughs> if, if, if Lamar Jackson has thrown two incompletions in a row, uh-huh. that's it. <laughs> okay, all right. That's, That's what it. I wanted to
1: get to there. I wanted to get to this part gonna, of it. They're going to
0: lose this game. Uh huh. Lamar can't complete a pass. Yeah. They can't move the ball down. The Ravens could be up thirty-three to twenty-one. Right. That's it. They're coming back. The Ravens. Are, the defense is going to blow it in the fourth quarter. I know it is. What's going to happen? Paul, mark my
1: words, my boy. Is there, this is what's going to happen. Is there name calling involved, either towards the players or towards your son no. in this situation? No, no, never name calling. Okay. No, it's
8: no, it's no name calling or foul line. I'll give you a perfect. Th- now that
1: happens a lot more here, where yeah. I I use a lot of name calling and foul language <laughs> towards your son. That happens here regularly. It's part of the program. I'll I give, cry and then we move on. <laughs> yeah, yeah <laughs> I
8: will give you a perfect uh, situation. It was the second game against the Steelers. Now I do not like the Steelers.
1: Okay.
8: There are on the opening drive, beautiful offense. Lamar Jackson's completing passes. It's really great. And then they're like on the 10-yard line. He goes back, no offensive line to protect him. On his back heel, he throws it up into the end zone, and one of their cornerbacks intercepts in the end zone. That's it. Done deal. Yes, I was pretty up Set.
1: Well, we were all. all I mean, I upset. think we were all upset, but I don't. Yeah. It wouldn't prevent me from watching the football game. <laughs> Like, I would still be able to watch the game. I would be frustrated. Yeah. But, you know, I would I would still... I would witness it. I would know that it occurred because I hadn't gotten up and stormed out of the room at any point. Well, it's
8: my it's problem not. is I can become pretty self-righteous, and that's, that is an issue that I'm working on. And so
1: you think it's just better for your, like, mental health? Yes. not? Okay. All right. Yes, Fair enough. Yes, it would
8: be better for my mental health to just not watch ah, it. And
1: cardiovascular. This is, this or, is, yeah, or, sure, right? You know. Yes, correct. Um, no,
0: but see, the, the the reason, if it was just every now and again, whenever. <laughs> If it was just every now and again, yeah. that you're right, that that that's tolerable. It doesn't seem that bad. Y- yeah, no. D- listen to it for an entire game on every play. Well,
1: okay. I mean, I hear you. I hear you. But I don't. That doesn't even sound like a top ten most unreasonable person that I've ever met. Watching. No, games. no, no,
0: no. He's he's he's. I've not watched games with a
1: lot of folks over the years. He's not now.
0: If he, if he. If if he watched the games... if I'm
1: being honest with you, I've watched folks uh, games of folks that were sitting in the press box that were worse than that <laughs> over the years.
0: If 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 he watched the games and put an analytic an analytical um, reasoning behind his irritation, I,
1: I don't think that's. I think it's okay to be frustrated. I, you're watching the you're in the moment. We all say things in the moment, and then two hours later we realize it's just a football game. The hell, but you're caught up. You're in the moment. There's only as I always say about football in particular, there's only seventeen of them. Mm-hmm. like there's only seven there's it's the reason why you can you know again today the baseball game sucks i ah, whatever there's another one tomorrow no problem yeah. right there's only 17 of these things in football seasons we get way too worked up about all of them and we embarrass ourselves with our tweets and things along those oh, lines I in the do. process but then the next day we you know we're, we should hopefully be capable capable of waking up and being like all right i need to settle down i need to get a hold of myself i need to reevaluate my life but and i don't think I do. that and but I don't I do. think it makes it wrong that you're worked up for the course of... You're, you were painting a picture as though, like, there might be destroyed things within the house. Oh, like no, that, it's, it's, not, might it's, be it's
0: it's not that bad. And, and I'll tell you, he's my dad. Yes. And I love him. Yes. And he's going to the game with me, and I still go to his house and to he, watch games. And that's games. exactly
1: what he said to me before you were here, too. He definitely said, I promise you, I, I love him. That's <laughs> well, no side eye involved.
0: It's It's also because he's my dad that I get more easily frustrated i'm i'm thinking because oh
1: you're replicating him you think that's why you are the way that you are (laughs) Prob- like you think this is why you tweet the way you tweet?
0: There is there is no <laughs> doubt that I am his son. We okay. will, that we will we will put it that Fair way. Enough. But I, I I will never stop watching the games with my dad. There have been times when I've so- said to him, "Dad, I can't talk to you about games anymore. I just I can't do it." And I still do the next week. So
1: I am I will never not be fascinated by this. This will fascinate me. The idea of being you are a fan, you're interested, you want to know. Yes. But you won't watch the game. That is correct. Here's a question: If you find out, like, did you watch the Lions game this year?
8: As a matter of fact, uh, I turned it on, I think it was like three or four minutes left. So
1: you saw the kick. You saw okay. absolutely. My, saw my, the my kick. My question is like, if you find out afterwards that it was an amazing game, yes. are you inclined to try to go back and rewatch it afterwards knowing what happened? Or do you, do you, that would still not be okay? No,
8: it still wouldn't Kay. be okay. Fair
1: enough. <laughs> and I'll tell you, really the weirdest thing about
2: remarkable. it is
0: he takes the losses yeah. harder than I do. That's despite the fact that he didn't watch him, despite the fact that he didn't doesn't watch, doesn't really him. know what happened. In order, no, he, t- he takes them harder than I do. You're
1: dejected for days because yes. that is amazing. That is amazing. All right, well, I, you know what, man? I, to each their own. If it's good for your health, <laughs> trust me, I'm all for. I'm all for improved mental health, physical health, and if it's better for your health, I'll choose to understand that I could never. At some point, I would just have to say to myself, like. I just might not be into this any longer. <laughs> just might not be for me. But I appreciate it. Thank Dr. Valley, for Thank stopping by and hanging much. out with us. All right. We, don't need to, we can uh, keep rolling. We can take a break uh, a little bit later on uh, after we check in with um, uh, Jeremy. Today's show is also brought to you by Simply the Bets, which returns tomorrow morning. Brought to you by the FanDuel Sportsbook at Live Casino in Hotel Maryland every Tuesday. At 11.40 a.m., we take a look. We're going to start putting the NFL draft in focus here in the coming weeks. The NBA playoffs get underway this week, so we'll take a look at those things tomorrow morning on Simply the Bets. Again, brought to you by the FanDuel Sportsbook at Live Casino and Hotel Maryland. And then every other, every other Thursday, we bring you Weekend at Bookie's. Weekend at Bookie's every other thursday looking forward to that uh not this week but the following week also brought to you by the fanduel sportsbook at live casino in hotel maryland all right so I want to t- take a minute here as there is a really cool local story that's unfolding with opening day today and that's that a local kid bruce zimmerman gets to make the start uh, for the home opener I believe that we found out that Dave Johnson actually once did this, and Tom Phoebus, famously, once upon a time, uh, was a local kid who made a uh, start in a home opener for the Baltimore Orioles. But it's been exceedingly rare in the history of this franchise that something like this might occur. So just talk a little bit more about that. We want to welcome in the man who was Bruce's high school coach at Loyola Blakefield. He is coach Jim Crowley, and he's with us now here on GCR. Jim, it's Glenn and Paul. It's great to chat with you. Thank you for taking a couple of minutes for us today. Well, hi, hi, guys. It's uh, I'm glad to be part of the show this morning. Well, it's great to chat with you, sir. I, I know it's got to be special, everything that Bruce Zimmerman has accomplished at this point. But in particular, getting the chance to do something like this, as a kid who's from here, who grew up watching the Orioles, can you put into words what it means to you to see Bruce get this opportunity?
7: man it's just so special for for not only for bruce but but also for his family i know his uh you know his parents well and and a lot of family members and all his teammates and guys that uh you know guys that used to hang around with bruce and um you know and play ball with him and, and and look up to him and and as he helped helped us at uh when I was coaching at Loyola for the Loyola Dons, helped us win some games. Um, I mean, it's just a special day for a lot of people, and, and we're really, really happy for Bruce today.
1: That's really cool. Did Did you have any idea, Jim, that what Bruce was capable of doing when when he was there at Loyola? Did you have any clue that you were looking at a major league baseball pitcher?
7: Gosh. So, you know, as you know, I, I grew up around... Yes, yes, yeah, correct. 13 years in the big <laughs> For league. For those so that I, don't know, got... yes, yeah, so <laughs>
1: Jim's dad is Terry Crowley.
7: Yeah, so, so, you know, growing up around, you know, the Jim Palmers and Eddie Murrays and all these Hall of Famers, um, you know, and, and phenomenal players, you know, I saw, I saw how talented and how incredibly hard these guys were. Um, I tried to follow in his footsteps, you know, I had a yeah, pretty good amateur career. Went to Clemson University and got drafted by the Red Sox in the eleventh round, and played uh, you know played a little minor league ball myself. My my pro career wasn't uh, wasn't too much to write home about, but but I gave it a shot. So I, so I know what it takes, and I know how hard it is. But I also you know when back to Bruce when I saw him, I think it was I want to say it was around 2011. You know he went to Cardinal Gibbons his freshman year, and then the school closed down, so he transfers into Loyola. And I had this 5'8", 5'9", little pudgy little kid that comes out to me out to the field in February when it's probably 25 degrees outside. And I saw this little kid, and I'm like, you know what? This little lefty, he's got some talent. He's got good mannerisms on the mound. He's also a pretty good outfielder. Um, And then I watched that 5'8", you know, 5'7", 5'8", kid become 5'9", 5'10". You know, now now what's Bruce about 6'2", or whatever. But he had all the, you know, he had all the makings, he had all the mechanics, you know, you didn't know if he was going to grow and mature and stay healthy and, and how he would further develop. But I knew he was a hard worker. I knew he was a gamer. He wanted the ball by his senior year. He could throw three pitches for a strike, which is pretty good for any pitcher. And, um, you know, I, I knew whenever I gave him the ball, we had a chance of beating anybody in the state, you know? So it was, um, you know, he, he was that type of a guy. But you know, it's hard to say that I, I I would have predicted he would have been you know opening day star like, right. you know whatever it is five six years ago because it's just it's just so hard and and you guys know the percentages of of high school ball players that make it play you know of of little league guys that make it to high school it's a small percentage and then high school players that play after high school it's a small you know and then guys that play professionally it's even uh, you know it, it just it, it, you get into that funnel where it just really really gets gets tough to make it but. But man it's he's worked so hard and and so deserving of this, and it's just so exciting once again for him, for his family and for you
1: know
7: for for the state of Maryland you know and, and all the people here written for a hometowner.
1: He is Jim Crowley, the former baseball coach at Loyola Blakefield. He's with us here on g c r talking about today's opening day starter, Bruce Zimmerman um you know coach with that in mind we we've seen a little bit of what Bruce Zimmerman might be capable of. There were some struggles as there are for a lot of guys in in his first full season. Did you see from him in what you were watching a year ago the signs that he can do this? That that he's going to be able to settle in and have himself a legitimate major league career?
7: I did, I did, and, and and once again, knowing him and knowing how hard he works, I mean, he was a very smart. You know, he's got those baseball instincts. So so I know that just being around the coaches and the other leaders and professional, and you know, gets to watch up means throw every you know, every third or fourth night and just learn from how the professionals go about the, the, you know, their, their work and preparation. And, and I know he's going to work as hard, if not harder than anybody on the team. And, um, so it, it doesn't surprise me and, and I, and I'm really going to, I'm excited to see how he does grow and his, I guess his, uh, second full season in the in the big leagues
1: all right what's what's your quintessential bruce zimmerman story like what's the one when when somebody's like oh man you coach that guy like what's the, well, the one that you pull out um to regale people with when they ask you about him oh gosh i
7: i mean it's my favorite thing i kind of already you know i already i touched on it a little bit i, I just remember <laughs> seeing this five seven five eight little punches yeah kid, you know, yeah and and just when he came back after you know having a hard time well well here's a here's a cool little story um we went over to uh play against Gilman and Gilman was coached by Larry Sheets yep. at the time and you know and had a had a great program and had some d1 players on their squad and um and and they were had a, had a good team and I gave Bruce the ball to go out and start and um he didn't have. This is during his senior year. He didn't really have a ton of colleges, you know, and not a ton of Division One offers, and and he was trying to figure out what he was going to do. And we talked to Towson coach, you know, the, the Towson coach to come over and watch him throw. And after an inning or two, you know, I see the coach is all excited. <laughs> He's like, man, you know, and, and the Towson University, the guy had to drive, you know, literally maybe three or five miles to see him pitch, and winds up getting a you know a, a future major leaguer right. to go to Towson. So. I mean that that's a I guess a, a pretty cool story that's how he neat. was able to uh, you know to, to to make it to the big leagues and who knows I mean if if the Towson coach doesn't come that day and if he doesn't shut Gilman down um, you know who who knows what what could have happened or where he could have gone
2: yeah. uh, he for-
7: trans- eventually transferred to, to Mount Olive right uh, where he got drafted but uh, but Towson was his first in right. Division one and we almost had to. You know, had to beg and plead to get the coach to come see. That's him so pick.
1: funny, right? There was a major leaguer <laughs> right down the road from you, and you had to beg him in order <laughs> to get him to come out. That's a uh, former coach, uh, Mike Gottlieb, of course, at Towson, who had uh, quite a run during his time with the Tigers program. Um, exactly. Uh, you know, I I, I want to ask you, Jim, just because you know, you and I have never really had any conversation. You alluded to it, like growing up around the game of baseball what's your what what is your greatest like pinch me moment from your life in the game of baseball man what's what's the one that like you still think upon you're like i can't believe i was able to do this or or spend this time with this person or whatever it is what's your all time sort of pinch me moment that you've experienced with the sport of baseball
7: so so for me, it was funny. So growing up around it, I mean, it, it's all I remember. I mean, I remember waking up, I'd go outside, I'd play with my friends, uh, you know, until about lunchtime, and then I'd come in and shower, and and my mom would put a peanut butter and jelly sandwich in front of me, I'd eat it, and I'd drive into the ballpark with my dad. And we'd go in, and I'd hang out, I'd watch batting practice, I'd sit on the bench, I'd shag flies in the outfield. And then I'd, you know, when when the guys were showering about an hour before the game time, they'd send all the kids and all the family upstairs and I'd take, you know, a Memorial stadium. I'd walk up through some stairs and elevators and, and sit in the seat and watch the game. And then I'd, uh, you know, drive home after the game with my dad and, and it was just rinse and repeat, do that over and over. So, I mean, I, I grew up around the game and I didn't understand, but after trying to play and after having opportunity to play some pro ball and then kind of get a real nine to five job, it was kind of like, I, I look back on like, man that
3: was really cool (laughs) to to
7: play catch to play catch with eddie murray to, to watch uh you know jim palmer throw a bullpen session and to watch mark belanger teach me how to field a ground ball i mean that stuff was really cool and then um you know and then there's other stuff like you know 75 my dad was playing for the big red machine in cincinnati and Hanging out with Ken Griffey, you know his uh junior, That's pretty his cool. was with the big league team.
1: That's and pretty cool. women
7: in Pete Rose's swimming pool, you know th- things like that. It's just like it, it hit me after the fact. right, For right. Me, it was just in the moment. It was just got, childhood, you, right? This is normal. Yeah, your dad's a doctor, a lawyer, or he works right. at a gas station. You know, you, you go to work. You know, you hang out. It's just coworkers. You know, they were his coworkers and his friends, and our, you know, our family's friends. And and then when I get to be a little bit older, I'm like man, that was really cool.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's so. neat. That's really neat. Jim, are you still involved with the game at all? I know, I know you haven't been at Loyola for a few years. Are you still doing anything baseball related? So, so I, um,
7: I, after I, I coached at, at Loyola for about seven or eight years, while I still had a nine to five, uh, consulting job, worked for a company, Kelly Benefits, a yep. local company. And they were great to me. Let me you know skip out a little bit early on days. And, um, and then I uh, I connected with uh, a facility called the baseball warehouse. Sure. Mike Bordick yep. does a lot with them and Matt Morris is the owner there yep. and um, you know, I've I've helped out with some camps. I used to do some individual lessons. I'm not really doing the lessons anymore. I mean just I, I love the game and love giving back and love working with the kids. I just don't have the time as much anymore and, and when I do get a few minutes I wanna kinda of sneak out and hit the hit that little white golf ball around and after hearing you guys talk about the Masters this morning and watching, watching that all weekend, you know, so uh, but but I definitely help out and do some camps a little bit, and and any friends and neighbors and you know family members that that want to try and play this crazy game of baseball, I'm I'm always willing to help out.
1: That's very cool. Is there anything we can we can plug for you? Are you on social media somewhere where people can follow you? Anything like that? I'm not really.
7: I mean, you can see some of my, uh, I've done a few little YouTube videos and little links on, on the baseball warehouse okay. website. So you, you could see a couple of little drills that my dad taught me and a couple things that I might, you know, I think I was, did one little video with Austin wings and kind of just talking about a one arm swinging drill, but, um, but, uh, no, nah, I mean, I just I just love the game and love giving back and, you know, and, and so excited for Bruce and, you know, hopefully, uh, hopefully he goes out and, and gets us our first win today.
1: That's awesome. Well, uh, Coach, congratulations uh, on, on everything that you've accomplished in your baseball life, and I know this is a special day for a lot of people. Enjoy the game. Thank you for taking a couple of minutes for us, and, and, and best to you moving forward, all right? It's-
7: uh, absolutely appreciate having me on just got to make me one promise though. yes and when he's uh, when bruce is starting game one or game two of the world Series oh you're definitely coming back on year, in fact me back in on. fact
1: you're coming and co-hosting the show with us that day all right <laughs> that sounds great guys. Sounds thanks great. jim appreciate you man all right, all right. have a great day Bye. it's a fun neat conversation neat local story um i i know that some of you probably roll your eyes and say "Hey, look well we know the only reason this is happening is because they don't have you know really good pitch Stop. It's still a neat story. It's still neat that a kid that grew up here and watched opening day and went to Loyola Blakefield and went to Towson University is starting the home opener for the Baltimore Orioles, whatever the circumstances are. Y- y'all dreamed of that. Y'all sat in your backyard, threw baseball, through tennis balls against the wall, pretending like you were starting opening day for the Baltimore Orioles. It's a really cool story no matter what the circumstances are. So I thought it was worth just taking a couple of minutes and reflecting on that and happy for Bruce Zimmerman, and I hope he enjoys that moment and can only imagine how much it means. And hopefully Bruce continues to develop and succeed as he moves along in his major league career. And you know, as Jim Crowley pointed out, hopefully there will be playoff starts and things along those lines in the future, that this won't be the peak for Bruce Zimmerman, that there will be plenty more, that he becomes a part of the process a part of the plan moving forward for the Baltimore Orioles in coming years alright it is a Monday edition of Glenn Clark Radio ahead of the home opener today at Camden Yards today's show is also brought to you by Glory Days Grill where the new seasonal menu is now available and there are so many delicious things I need to spend basically a week at Glory Days Grill in order to enjoy all of these things the opener the opener Flash-fried pork belly with the popular Korean number two sauce. If you've ever had the number Korean number two wings, you know. Oh, how about uh, the crunch burger, home run sauce, white American cheese, and house-made chips? Maybe you might want to try the baseball-cut sirloin with blue cheese, the grilled shrimp with garlic butter, the strawberry salmon salad, or even how about this dessert? <clears throat> How about the um, Cracker Jack Sunday with a waffle, ice cream, and Cracker Jacks? All available right now at your neighborhood Glory Days Grill, glorydaysgrill.com. This man arrived at a bar at about 5 a.m. today, so let's see just how inebriated he is at this moment. He is our friend Jeremy Kahn, 105.7 The Fan. He's back with us here on a Monday edition of the program. What's going on, dude? How are you?
9: I'm good. I'm just trying to get somewhere quiet, so there's music playing out. Oh, well, I mean,
1: it's downtown uh, on opening day. What's it supposed to sound like? And
9: you know what it's like down here, too? You get pulled in a million different directions, which it's part of the fun. Like, one of my favorite things about opening day is just running into people I haven't seen in years, and I just went into, like, a group of friends that, that were in my wedding that we just haven't seen. Oh, that's of, cool. You
1: know? That's cool. And then
9: you run into people you don't want to talk to, which I've done more of that.
1: So, yeah, a lot of those happen. There's a lot. yeah. So, so, famously, one year, Drew and I were downtown doing an event, and we were, like, in, in the years when the Orioles were bad, Drew and I would do a lot of things. we do a lot of gimmicks, a lot of stick to try to get people to listen, because I don't know if you heard, we were on the smallest signal in the history of radio. Um, <laughs> I there. so Yeah, oh, I know you I used know. I to
9: have to get on the hamster wheel in the morning <laughs> to get the show started.
1: In fact, Jeremy also, at one point, was doing nights on that radio station, where the signal would somehow get worse after a little yeah. while. So, uh, if somebody
9: could hear you, you had to be wor- Worried and called nine one one because I usually meant they were in the house so, hundred <laughs> percent.
1: So so Drew looked at me. He's like, "Hey, where's Jeremy at today? Let's go over and see. if We can't pick a fight with him, right?" And I was like, "All right, I'm I'm up for that." And so wherever you guys were broadcasting from that day, we wander over and then we get there and we do the bit where we're like, "Oh, you know, blah blah blah," and then we just realize like, "No, I know we actually like each other. We got no fight to have here. <laughs> we, it's we great man. Like this is."
9: It looks a little light today, to be honest. Yeah, um, oh, sure. Maybe it's still early.
3: Right.
9: Uh, and, you know, like, I, the only reason I bring it up is it's opening day, and, like, the, the the big talk around here is everybody's going, okay, why is it light? Is it because they moved it? Is it because the team's bad? Is yeah. it the weather? Is it I mean, the weather's fine now, but this morning it was freezing. And I'm going, I think all of it plays into yep. it, but, yep. you know, the big the big talking point on the show this morning, for at least for me, was, like, what did people expect? They told you they were going into rebuild. They're not going to tell you they're intentionally trying to lose. We knew they were going to be bad for a while. It's longer than what most people had wanted. But, you know, you're hoping that this gets you to a point where you're going to be fine the rest of the way and you can actually compete.
1: So what? That all being said, if Adley Rutchman hadn't gotten hurt and was playing today, this place would be a mob scene. I mean, this would yeah, be a, it'd be a madhouse at Camden That's Yards. That's a
9: great point. And like, then the rumors were that he was. I'm going to look around the stadium because there were supposedly signs put up of him all over the place. Right. That and and I was told directly from someone that he was going to be on the opening day roster, barring a setback, and he clearly had one. So
1: yeah, it's a bummer. Dude. I mean, it sucks. And it's I talked about it today. Like, if you're doing the bit where you're today you're like, oh, you see what Bobby Witt did this weekend? Like, get mm-hmm. get a hold. To yourself, man. Like, the guy got hurt. It happens. He's supposed to be back in a couple of weeks, and we'll get to have another. You know, it won't be a sold-out stadium the night that he makes his debut, but there'll be a yeah. massive crowd, and there'll be another exciting day for everybody to want to go to the ballpark when Adley Rutschman makes his debut. Like, it, it'll happen whenever, in May. Whenever it happens, he'll be here, and, and God, get a whole, I, I, I we, man, we all want our dessert before we eat our dinner, man. Like, it's just a, it, well, we're all children. I
9: brought it up this morning, Glenn, and, and I, I think you'll agree with me. Like, everybody kept saying, blow it up, blow it up, blow it up. We want the rebuild, and I kept yelling. I said, "Be careful of it's, what you it's wish." It's going to suck. They blow it up. Yeah, it's going to be five years at a minimum, right. before they're where you want them to be. And I remember it distinctly. Well, they blew it up. How come they were not where they need to be in year two? Right. You're going, you, you people are ridiculous.
1: Right. Right. This is the way it was going to go. And I think that I do think, Jeremy, it's important what you brought up. I genuinely believe there were a lot of people that did not fully understand just how long this would take. And then by yeah. the way, the the thing that we have to add to that is how many things have gone wrong in the process that hadn't are, are no fault of Mike Elias's. Like you know the fact that the Dan Duquette trades, not trying to S on him, his hands were tied too but those trades at the end of his tenure have, have given you nothing to work with to start the rebuild, that there was a global pandemic that lost you a year of minor league development that like, was more hurtful for you than it probably was a lot of other organizations. That, like, that, that's beyond their control. Well, it was already always it, going to be a long process. It's, it's gone poorly from there. It's, it's not going to happen this quickly. Yeah, and I hope you agree with me on
9: this. Like, one of the other things, like just running into fans of the station, people that want to talk sports, I had two different people say, what do you think of the Angelos boys? And I'm going, well, first off, no matter what you thought of the dad, you can't cast your aspersions for the sins of the father on the kids. But I love what, what's gone on thus far. Now, does it mean that they're going to win a World Series or, you know, be competitive the next 12 years after this rebuild's done? No. I mean, that's your hopes. You're hoping that you give yourself that opportunity bringing concerts to the stadium, opening up something in the Dominican Republic as far as an academy and start, you know, looking for talent, being involved in the international market, you know, spending time and, and, and actual thought processes on how to approach the draft and how to attack it. What's the best route? Do we get the best player and overpay uh, up front? Or do we use this money allocated the way we want and try to get really, you know, really, really good players that we think will fit our stadium, our system, all that stuff? So you know, like, to me, all of it matters. Uh, it, so many people are up in arms over what the left field wall is going to look like. But what if their analytics were right? And this does end up helping, you know, the home pitching. And, the, you know, I just I just feel like we get caught up in so much instead of letting it happen yeah. and then evaluate it afterwards. Let it let it play out and see what happens.
1: The, the, the Jeremy Conn is with us here on uh, Glenn Clark Radio. The fairest thing I can say about any—it's the same thing I say about Brandon Hyde, Mike Elias, you know, John Angelos, any of the—I don't know. I have no idea if these guys are particularly yeah. good at what they do. How would I know at this point? They're doing something else. Well, I can answer that question in a couple of years if we get through like five years into this process and there is not talent at the major league level, then I'm going to have an answer about Mike Elias as a general manager, at least in the context of what he was hired to do. But these guys still aren't here. Like this, I do think this is a really important season because I genuinely believe phase two is the three guys. It's it's Rutschman, it's Rodriguez, and and still probably D. L. Hall in that mix too. That's phase two. Because if those guys don't pan out as major leaguers, the depth ain't there. Like, you don't have other top-notch talent waiting in this system right now. These guys have to pan out. So I think this season does get interesting. It's not going to be from a wins-losses perspective. But when these guys arrive, not to say they couldn't be good in two years, but if these guys get here... We have the fair ability to start judging them because this is how we're going to define this rebuild in the coming years.
9: It's so funny because for years you preach it's about the team, the team, the team. It's all about wins and losses and this and that. But realistically in a rebuild, it's not. like The losses, I'm not saying you root for your team to lose, but losing ends up being a good thing in the long run because you're getting better draft picks. And I I know it's kind of counterproductive and it's everything. it goes against everything we were taught about sports. You play your hardest, you always try. Blah, 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 blah. But in the context of the way everything is done schematically in Major League Baseball, it makes sense, or in professional sports for that matter. And it's something that we, we literally talked about a ton this morning and just going over, like, for example, you sit here and look, now is the time that you start looking at individual players and then you wait for them to be good, and then we start looking at the team. And it, it, it's always going to be about individuals from a baseball standpoint because we look at numbers in this sport more so than anyone. Like, we talked about the struggles that Cedric Mullins has had if this were July and he went one for 10 or one for 12, if he strikeouts, nobody says anything, but because it's the opening of the series or, you know, opening of the season and you got your first series of the, of the year, people are like, Oh my God, Cedric Mullins is terrible again. Well, he's not, but like, let it play out. See what happens. See how he reacts to it. I just, I I feel like people get so far ahead of themselves when it comes down to it. I, I see people bitching on Twitter about the, the first weekend, like, did you guys think they were they right. were going to make the playoffs? Right. Come on, like, yeah. What, what's your thought process?
1: You know, it's crazy. This is what this is always going to be. What it was going to be. All right, what yeah. we, uh, I, I'm going to let you run because I know you got a lot that you're doing down there. But give me your like, if you had one piece of advice for folks, I know that it might be too late because some of them already got down there and started drinking with you at 6 a.m. Um, yeah. But if you had one piece of advice for handling yourself on an opening day and making sure you don't. Like, you can have fun, but you don't end up becoming a story that your friends talk about for years about something particularly embarrassing that you did. What advice would you have to the general unwashed about handling yourself on on a day-drinking day like opening day
9: is? Well, I literally just got back from a four-day bachelor party in Chicago yesterday yeah. where uh, somebody in the group took a dump on the floor. Ah. Um, so don't do that. Yeah. That would be the first yeah, thing. Yeah, start but, uh, there. But honestly, like today, today's a perfect day. Like there are a lot of people that, that use the old Yogi Barrel line. Nobody goes there anymore; it's too crowded. Uh, <laughs> the pickles and sliders. Today's the perfect day to slide over here and check out both spots, or even you know head on over to uh, Frank and Nick's and, and and see something that you know. That I know there are a lot of parties going around uh, going on around. And it's not it's not completely packed. So I think it's a perfect day to actually come down here and experience some of these places and you know see the crowds. But It's just don't be a jackass. Enjoy the game. Like, the Orioles are really good on opening day. They always have been. I think they win today. Um, They're facing the Brewers, who ironically I just watched in in Chicago. And uh, same thing, great pitching, can't hit for squat, can't hit with runners in scoring position. So maybe we get a lot of that today. The wind's blowing out, so it should be fun. But just have a good time and don't be a jackass. It's that simple.
1: It does seem seem simple enough, doesn't it? It really does seem simple enough. All right, buddy, we will talk again next Monday. Uh, You want to plug anything for the show this week? No, I don't like those guys. Yeah, no, those we're guys on every day, suck. 6 to 10,
9: yeah. Monday to Friday on 105.7 The Fan. I know you guys you guys are starting up. Uh, I drew it this weekend. You guys uh, We're the 24th.
1: Yeah, 24th, 24th. is going to be the first okay. show for us. Yeah, I can't believe you guys put that guy on to talk about golf yesterday for two hours. Yeah, that it's, it's
9: was terrible. But I'm actually going to come by, and I'm going to keep walking by your window and removing one article of clothing every oh, time I walk by. I'm very excited.
1: Now, now, now the show's going to be good. <laughs> now the show's going to be good. I just hope Rita
9: right. doesn't press charges again. <laughs> Stop. So.
1: All right, uh, love you, buddy. I'll talk to you next week. All right, week. Yeah, love you. I'll see you guys. Jeremy Kahn, at 1057 on Twitter. His picks every day at PressBoxOnline.com if you want to make some money. We'll come back in. We will wind down for the day. Tidbit, able to wrap it up. It's Glenn Clark Radio.
5: help.org. The newest edition of PressBox is available now. On the cover, we celebrate the 20th anniversary of Maryland Men's Basketball's 2002 NCAA Tournament Championship, as Gary Williams reflects on how the program rose from the ashes of NCAA sanctions to the pinnacle of the sport, and why his perspective of the title run has changed now, two decades later. Plus, Juan Dixon, Lonnie Baxter, and the rest of the team relive the moments that ultimately led them to cutting down the nets in Atlanta. PressBox is available for free at over 500 area locations, including 60 Royal Farms stores, and you can always find the entire edition, as well as the best daily coverage of the Orioles, Ravens, and Terps at PressBoxOnline.com. Answering Baltimore's calls for help.
1: Running in when others run away. Working together toward one shared vision for a thriving city. That's your Baltimore Police. But the department needs more good people. People like you. Join a proud new generation of Baltimore Police and make an active difference in your community. Start with competitive wages and excellent benefits on day one. Join for good at bpdrecruit.com.
4: Stay tuned. Your chance to win a
6: million dollars is coming up. Probably not from us. You're listening to Glenn
4: Clark Radio.
1: All right, winding down for a Monday edition of the show. We're going to try to wrap up about on time so that we can do the post-show stuff that we got to do, and then uh, we're all going to go down and enjoy the baseball game today. That's the plan for everybody here. Today's show has also been brought to you by Underdog Fantasy Football. If you ain't playing underdog, you ain't living, man. There's so much fun stuff to do. It's not just the daily traditional games, but it also makes you feel like you're betting, which you still can't do on your phone or your computer in the state of Maryland, at least not legally. But you can play underdog fantasy football, and you can play player props and parlays, things along those lines. Really feel like you're betting. Plus, we got free money for you to play with. If you just use the code PRESSBOX, you make your first deposit up to $100. We will match that number Again, use the code PRESSBOX, up to $100 on that first deposit when you sign up. Baseball contests underway, basketball, hockey, so basketball playoff contests, hockey, still some regular season to go there. Lots to do with Underdog Fantasy Football, underdogfantasy.com, or download the Underdog app. Quickly, two things that we haven't responded to that I was asked about earlier. I want to pull these back up from Paul and Ovi Lando. Um, uh, uh, DJ Stewart sent to Norfolk Right now the Tides outfield is Neil Diaz, Bobby Newstrom And Johnny Reiser and Taryn Vavra With Kyle Stowers still waiting Why is DJ there? Um, I mean what do you want I guess the question would be what do you want to do Do you just want to get rid of him? Like you just want to let him go altogether? I, I'm not For For what reason? I'm not convinced that DJ Stewart is likely to ever be a quality major league baseball player, but you can't really trade him. I mean, like, I what what do you what do you do with him? Um, yeah, I mean, he's
0: depth at this point, in, in my opinion. He fringe major leaguer who every now and again runs into one, but he he, he yeah, struggles like, to hit
1: a fastball. I, if if what you're doing is saying, hey, realistically, he's just never going to be a major leaguer, and so why waste any more time with him? I, no, I don't think you guarantee him at bats over guys who you think are significant but no offense johnny riser that's not a i mean johnny riser is not a prospect that you need to guarantee at bats too mm-hmm. um you know kyle stowers of course when he comes back and use neil diaz we're still we're still holding out hope And i know he's off to a great start that that he can turn out to be something but i i just don't i think you do it because it's part of the process more than anything else you you send him back down you never know this It's happened a couple times with Cedric Mullins, if we'll remember correctly, where we had written him off entirely as just being a guy that was never going to – it was never going to happen for. And I certainly understand that Cedric Mullins is an overall better athlete than DJ Stewart is. Um, But, you know, we could have had this exact conversation with Cedric Mullins a couple of times over Mm -hmm. the years. In fact, Cedric Mullins ended up all the way back at Bowie um, at one point. So – I, I get it. We're all frustrated by D.J. Stewart. It's it's a good thing the Orioles aren't just forcing it and saying, you know, he's here. They're gonna take a look at somebody else and see how that goes. But I just don't know what else you do with him, frankly. Right. And then from Darren, Darren, I don't really have. I, and I let me try to say this the nicest way possible. I wish we spent more time talking about Dwayne Haskins and less time talking about what Adam Schefter and Gil Brandt said about Dwayne Haskins. I am not trying to give a pass to any of it. I thought it was a bad tweet from Adam Schefter. You know, not nearly as bad as Gil Brandt. Yeah, that was but, awful. But you know, again, understanding the Gil Brandt thing is also he's Gil Brandt's, you know, 90 years old, He's man. just so old. Like I just don't know why it is that we're still giving Gil Brandt microphones. That doesn't that doesn't make this okay at at any age. What he said was shameful. I mean, it was shameful. I listened to the audio, and it was just one of the worst. It would be shameful if Dwayne Haskins... This is how shameful it was. If Dwayne Haskins was alive, it would be shameful what he said. I mean, this is a joke. Gilbrant thinking that he can relitigate whether or not Dwayne Haskins should have stayed in school for another year. Get the F out of here. But he's... You know, he's very old, and he probably shouldn't be doing interviews any longer, and he probably shouldn't be involved in media, and it's difficult because Gil Brandt is a legend. And until this, I don't think we knew that Gil Brandt had completely lost it. I think we were all quite impressed by how sharp he seemed to be still to an an older age. But, you know, it's a tough thing. And it was a bad tweet from Adam Schefter. We're probably overreacting to that, too. He definitely needed to be more forthright. And it's been a bad... The problem is we're lumping in this with some other things. Like People are pretending like Adam Schefter was wrong about Tom Brady retiring. He was not. We, we do this weird bit where we get where we get things wrong. Adam Schefter got that correct. Tom Brady just changed his mind. Tom Brady retired from football. We watched him do it. He retired. We saw the tweets. He retired from the game of football. Adam Schefter got that right. Tom Brady changed his mind, as he has every right to do. But it didn't mean that Adam Schefter was wrong and that was, it's embarrassing. There was a tweet floating around about all the things that Adam Schefter has gotten wrong and it included that which is a joke. He got that correct. For 40 days he got it correct. Well, I mean, and he was ahead of the announcement. Like, that Mm -hmm. was the part that everybody was mad about was that he announced it before Tom Brady was able to announce it. Well, okay, that's not really Adam Schefter's problem. If he's got information, he has every right to report the information that he has. He's a reporter. He got it right and ended up did Tom Brady change his mind? But the Bruce Allen thing, that ESPN never punished him over the Bruce Allen thing, which was an utter embarrassment, sort of spoke to them saying, hey, look, we, we're not trying to pretend like Adam is a reporter any longer. Like, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. We have him doing the job we want him to do. And that's shameful that they still try to describe him as a reporter, despite the fact that they just outright told you he wasn't any longer but it's not necessarily dissimilar to other roles that people have moved into within other companies where, like, hey, the, the we have we do have reporters here. We also have people that aren't necessarily reporters. That call them whatever you want to call them. Um, it was a bad tweet. It was a really bad tweet. Does he deserve to be fired over it? No. Does he need to be more apologetic? Did he need to be more direct and more apologetic? And when he deleted the tweet, he needed to put something else up and make sure he understood what he got wrong. That would have been good. Um, There will never always be people that will remember that and won't forgive him for it and think he's corny or whatever it is. Like, you can't do anything about that. It's a bad tweet. It was a really bad tweet. But it was just a bad tweet. That's all it was. And then, like, almost because we were so sensitive to it, I started, like, you guys know I love Pete Gilbert, but Pete Gilbert was mad that the AP put out I gotta pull this up from last night. I almost ended up getting into a fight with Pete, and I just remembered I don't care. Like, and I love Pete. Like, he's one of my favorite people. It's why I, I could have fought with him, but I just I don't care enough about the topic. Pete got mad about a tweet the AP sent out. The AP sent out the following tweet: Tiger Woods has wrapped the worst Masters performance of his professional career, 13 over par. Still, he considers this one of his greatest achievements in golf, coming 14 months after a car wreck left him badly injured. The entirety of that tweet is great context. He had the worst Masters he's ever had. But you got to understand why that doesn't matter necessarily because it's remarkable that he was even here. Like, mm-hmm. if you read that from start to finish, it is, it's not just not a bad tweet. It's a well-thought-out description of exactly what went on. Pete quote-tweets it. Definitely the headline this weekend for Tiger is that is worst Masters. Definitely that. We are so sensitive now. <laughs> like, we are so lost. This wasn't a bad tweet. This was, in fact, a really well-written, articulated tweet. For somebody that doesn't follow golf, that sees on the final day, boy, Tiger Woods really ended up sucking this weekend. The average person that may be following the AP but isn't super into golf, it gives a great job of explaining why, despite the fact that he had a bad score and he did not perform for the weekend, it's still remarkable what it is that he accomplished this weekend. It captures that in one tweet, which is very difficult to do. But we, I think we just got really sensitive. Because mm-hmm. it wasn't just Pete. I saw other people react to this tweet the same way. I think we just got really sensitive in the aftermath of, of Saturday and the reaction to Dwayne Haskins' death that we just sort of assumed that everything was a bad tweet explaining with context is a good thing. We should do that more frequently. You know, it probably wouldn't be relevant to just send out a tweet that says, Tiger Woods posts the worst score of his Masters career or something like that. Mm -hmm. That probably would be a bad tweet, right? Like, it's devoid of context. The context is there. They provide the context within the tweet that you need to understand why it is that if what you know is that Tiger Woods did not perform well on Saturday and Sunday at the Masters, he still feels really good about his performance. Great tweet tremendous high fives all around i wish we cared as much about dwayne haskins as we care about the reaction to his death i wish agreed we would spend more time talking about him as a human his story as we do whining about what people are it's it felt more like i don't really have anything to say about dwayne haskins because i don't know him so but i want to feel like i'm part of the story that everybody's talking about so instead i'm going to just I'm going to start grandstanding about Gil Brandt going on and doing a bad interview and and Adam Schefter sending a bad tweet. Sometimes if you don't have anything to say about something, you know what you could just say? This is terribly sad. May rest in peace. And just kind of move on from there if you don't have any context. I had a wonderful conversation with Dwayne Haskins a few years ago. He was a great guest on the show when he originally committed to Maryland. Um... You know, he was really an impressive human to talk to and what he wanted to do and trying to... He really wanted to push getting kids to come to Maryland. Of course, you know, would have been nice if Mike Loxley was the head coach at that point. Maybe perhaps Dwayne Haskins would have stuck around um, at Maryland if that was the case. Um, you know, he ended up and getting to Ohio State and having an unbelievable career there. And, you know, it is, it is unthinkably, ungodly tragic to lose someone at, at this age, no matter what type of person they are, like anyone losing their life at such a young age. But someone who was so talented, was so infectious, um, you know, it's, it's just unthinkable. It's unthinkable. I really, I, I, the, I, we had a couple, of, in fact, he was on this show and I had a couple conversations with him because like he was messaging me like, hey, who can you get me in touch with? Like, he was so gung-ho about wanting to be, he called himself the Pied Piper was the phrase that he used. He wanted to be the Pied Piper for getting kids from this area to come to Maryland. So, yes, it sucks that it didn't work out that he ended up at Maryland, but he was fired up, man, when he was going to come to the University of Maryland. Um, He was a really infectious energy type of guy, Dwayne Haskins. We found
0: out about it right in the middle of the bat around. And, yeah, it's just um, floors I, you. I, I, I was taken aback. I had to take our final break early because I I, Some, I I lost all sense of what I was talking about because, I, like you said, it floored me. I, I just, could not
1: believe it. Someone that age, someone mm-hmm. we all watched him at Ohio State because they were playing big games. You know the legendary game against Maryland where Maryland nearly pulled off the upset, right? Like we all watched him, um, and it was just you can't fathom it. You can't fathom someone that age being gone, um, whatever the story would have been for Dwayne Haskins moving forward in football, I don't know. Who knows what it would have been. Um but it's just oh it's just jarring. Just jarring. All right, it's tough to transition from that, but we we'll, we'll just we're gonna wrap up the show anyway. Um let's get a tidbit. Tidbit today, brought to you by the Baltimore police. Join a proud new generation of Baltimore police and make an active difference in your community. Start with competitive wages and excellent benefits on day one. Join for good, bpdrecruit.org. All right, with it being
0: opening day, I thought it might be fun to look at a couple of franchise records the Orioles sat, set last season and a couple that just missed. Of course, we know the obvious ones. Cedric Mullins with the first 30-30 season of franchise history and Ryan, Ma- Ryan Mountcastle with a rookie uh, record 33 home runs. Mm-hmm. And then there's John Means, who threw a no-hitter, which was at the time the 308th in Major League history, but he was a dropped third strike away from a perfect game, which would have been the 24th perfect game of all time. Surprisingly, when the Orioles lost 19 straight games last season, it was not the longest in team history as, of course, The 1988 Orioles lost 21 straight to begin the season, and when the Orioles gave up 11 runs in the seventh and final inning of a doubleheader game in which Keegan Aiken took a no-hitter of his own into the inning, that was not the most runs the team has ever allowed in the inning. No, that record belongs to the 1996 Orioles. Ah, they were good. They were good, but not this Uh, night. Uh, They gave up 16 runs to the Texas Rangers in the eighth inning, most famously Manny Alexander, the position player pitching pitching, gave up a grand slam and eight runs. I was actually hanging out with my dad that night. When that happened,
1: were you watching the game, or did N- he have to? No, the, we were yeah. going to dinner or something. Okay.
0: I we turned the game on, and it was. They said twenty six to seven. We're like yeah. what happened? Yeah. Uh, that happened on April nineteenth, a game that they lost twenty six to seven. But did you know?
1: Yeah, the 30-3 the game, they spread the they spread the spread runs out a little bit more than that. They,
0: they, they spread it out more than that. And yeah. That was the first game of a doubleheader, yes, which was awful. Yes. Uh, did you know that on June 20th last season, Trey Mancini had a two-homer game, the second homer marking the 100th of his career? With this landmark home run in his 539th game, Trey became the fastest player in franchise history to hit 100 mm-hmm. home runs. How about that? Um so originally I said can you name the top 10 home run hitters in Orioles franchise history but the number 9 player probably Ken Williams um, he did it for the St. Louis yeah, Browns. Man, that don't count. Part of, that.
1: It's part of the problem with looking at Orioles records.
0: But, yeah, I, I don't. I don't look at the I don't look at the Browns and the Orioles no, as the same no, franchise, even though not. they are. But but yeah. technically, but no, I, they're no, not. I hate, it's like it's like the, the Colts. I, I, I can't
1: fathom why anyone in Indianapolis wants to reflect on Baltimore. I, I, it, it bothers me to my core that the Orioles recognize the history of the St. Louis. Browns. It
0: would be like the Ravens keeping the Browns records. Thank God they don't do that. Yeah, thank the Lord. Um, all right, so can you name the top nine home run hitters in the Orioles franchise history? So career home runs. not Career home runs with, with the, the Orioles. With the Orioles, yes,
1: specifically. Uh, Cal Ripken. Number one, 431. Uh, still Frank Robinson. No, he only played seven years here. But I'm still surprised they didn't end up sneaking into the top nine. That still surprises me. Boog Powell.
0: Boog Powell is
1: number three on the list, 303. Uh, Eddie Murray.
0: Eddie Murray's number two, 343. Brooks. Brooks Robinson's number four,
1: 268.
0: Brady. Uh, hang on, sorry. Brady Anderson is number eight with 209.
1: Um, I'm going to say Adam Jones. Adam
0: Jones is number five with 263.
1: So I need it. three more. Yes, sir. Say? Um, Three more. Three more. Who am I... Uh, oh God! How about? I already got one wrong, so it doesn't matter if I get any more one. Wrong. I can't get a perfect game, right? Because I Correct. got I got Frank Robinson wrong. All right, so now oh, for f sake, so let's toss out. He was only here a little. Um, I'll still try Rafael Palmero.
0: Rafael Palmero, number seven,
1: two hundred and twenty-three, and two more. How about, there's two more. Man. Are they ones that, I mean, obviously they're, eh, never mind, never mind, I don't want to say anything. I really want to get these right, and I don't know why I care that much. (laughs) Because it's fun. Yeah, I guess. It just feels like I should do. Chris Davis, probably.
0: Chris Davis, number six, 253.
1: So now I'm down to number nine, is that what I'm down to? Yes. Number nine, number Number nine. nine, number
0: nine. Nine times.
1: Um... I'm between two guys that weren't really known as home run hitters, but they were just here long enough that I think they might have hit enough. I'm between Marcakis and Kenny Singleton.
5: Hmm.
0: Interesting. You named him.
1: It's one of those two. Yeah. It's well, one of a good thing two. I was between those two guys. Kenny Singleton.
0: That is hey. correct. What if I said that is incorrect? That uh, would
1: have been a bummer. That yeah. <laughs> would have been a bummer.
0: <laughs> Number nine, 182.
1: Um, he, of course, joins uh, Stan the Fan, Charles, and Ross Grimsley later on tonight, 8 o'clock on Facebook Live, the great Kenny Singleton. Very good.
0: I was going to try and have him on the bat around, but looks like I uh, won't be well, doing well, I mean, that you this
1: might, week. You might, uh, you might be able to do that, too. I don't know. I but, try not to steal Stan's thunder. That. All right. Uh, Tubular is brought to you by Live Casino and Hotel on the FanDuel Sportsbook. We will be back on April 28th for the first round of the NFL Draft with great giveaways. Thanks to all of you who joined us yesterday. There's nowhere better to be for the NBA playoffs, which gets underway this week, or for the NFL draft than the FanDuel Sportsbook at Live Casino and Hotel. There's 61 self-service kiosks are available. If you're like me and you hit big on Rory McIlroy yesterday, there is nothing quite like walking up with that voucher and saying, "Give me my money! Give it to me! I want my money!" Pay him his feels money. great. Feels so good. FanDuel Sportsbook, Live Casino and Hotel Maryland. Here's what's coming up. Look, it's opening day. That's what's coming up. You guys know. Orioles, Brewers this afternoon, 3 o'clock on Masson. Uh, apparently, it's also on ESPN Plus and the rest of the country if you want to watch. Uh, Adrian Hauser against Bruce Zimmerman. Masson 2, Nationals, Braves, 720. FS1, Mets, Phillies, 630. MLB Network, Padres, Giants at 930. Lacrosse tonight, Cornell and Syracuse at 7 o'clock on the ACC Network. NHL Network, Jets, Canadiens at 7. ESPN's got the WNBA draft. A couple of local prospects, uh, Baltimore girls, that could end up hearing the name call tonight. That's 7 o'clock. The USA Network for WWE, Monday Night Raw at 8. Anything non-sports-wise that stands out? There's
0: not much. The 2022 uh, CMT Music Awards are at 8 o'clock on CBS. I never miss those. And the Fonz himself, Henry Winkler, is going to be on Jimmy Kimmel Live tonight at 11.35. There's nothing new streaming. All right, very good. Stuff and things.
1: All right, thanks today to Jim Crowley, Bruce Zerman's coach at Loyola Blade. Field. Thanks to Jeremy Kahn, thanks to Janet Marie Smith, thanks to Jeff Arnold and to Freddie Funk. We'll get all of it up in the Greatest Hits section of the tab at Clark radiocom It's Tuesday, so Patrick Stevens will join us, and we'll do Simply the Bets and Stuff and Things. Stuff and Things tomorrow on the program. Thanks to everybody at PressBox, all of our great sponsors and partners, including Glory Days Grill. Royal Farms, the Baltimore Orioles, the Baltimore Police Department, Great Eights Memorabilia, Live Casino and Hotel Maryland, and the FanDuel Sportsbook, Underdog Fantasy Football, your local Toyota dealer, and buyatoyota.com. Thanks to Paul. Follow him on Twitter, and inst- er, just on Twitter, at PaulValleyThe3rd. Follow Ryan, thanks to him as always, at Ryan. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram, at Glenn Clark Radio. Have a great Monday night. Hey, go Birds. Duke sucks. Ohio State sucks too.